Welcome to BAMS Radio. We are about a week and a half out from Alabama versus Wisconsin. We're glad to have you with us again this week. We are only doing a podcast because we did have some technical difficulties. We're not able to do the live show. We will uh, hopefully be back doing that next Wednesday night. But for tonight, it's podcast only, but it's still BAMS Radio. I'm your co-host, Kerry Clark. I'm joined, as always, by Thomas Watts of Touchdown Alabama Magazine, who's having to work overtime this week back in the studio, and our other co-host, Judy Armand of 97.7 The Zone ESPN in Huntsville. And we are going to have some guests later on. We'll have a call in from Colin Big C. McGuire, who actually got to ask a question to Nick Saban after the scrimmage last week. The three of us were all at the scrimmage. And then around uh, 30 minutes or so into the show, we're going to hear from A.P. Stedham of BamaMag.com who has uh, been involved in some interesting things lately. He's still pushing the Snake Stabler Hall of Fame deal, which is gaining momentum. He is now helping to push the uh, completion of a documentary about the Wishbone era at Alabama. He'll tell us about that. And AP is a man of many travels. He's been on the West Coast all week, and he's gotten to see a lot of Alabama players in between San Francisco and Oakland and the fact that San Francisco played Dallas. So he'll tell us about all those things. And then in hour number two, of this podcast only BAMS radio. We're going to hear from John Garcia, also of scout.com and bamamag.com for a recruiting wrap up. But again, thanks for joining us here on BAMS radio, a member of the Bama sports radio family. And I'm going to go ahead and uh, bring in Drew and Thomas now, because all three of us uh, were at the scrimmage this past Saturday. And uh, what happened at the scrimmage has dictated what's happened at practice this week. And I'll go ahead and open up with Drew uh, to give some of his thoughts on what he saw Saturday. Well, uh, I saw a defense that has a chance to be special. Uh, I think the back end is going to be much improved, much more athletic. Uh, When you talk about Eddie Jackson's move inside the safety, we reported it was like flipping a switch. Total agreement. Uh, Geno Smith looked very good. That was your pairing at the – free and strong safety or left and right, really, in Alabama's scheme. But uh, uh, they look very good. Uh, obviously, Minka Fitzpatrick was your starter at star. Um, the dime back was Maurice Smith, but Ronnie Harrison also saw action to very good players there. I think Maurice is much improved. Ronnie Harrison is a freak show and will play more and more as the year goes on. And then at corner, that now healthy, uh, back from his pulled groin slash quad Marlon Humphrey uh, starting at left corner, the veteran Cyrus Jones starting at right. And then of course, in my opinion, the nastiest front seven in college football, along with, uh, you know, in my opinion, hopefully the most improved linebacker in the country for the second straight year. A year ago, we, we saw Reggie Ragland come into his own. Now it looks as though Reuben Foster could be doing the same thing. Uh, just a very special defense, uh, improved production from the outside linebackers who are now actually being coached by someone that knows what they're doing in Tosh Lupoy. And just a special defense overall offensively, very encouraged by the offensive line. Uh, you know, obviously did not like seeing Dom Jackson go down, but he's already back out at practice at right tackle. But Brandon Green came in, was very solid. Looks like Shank Taylor right now is ahead of Bradley Bozeman, which is a little surprising, but Shank did a nice job. Didn't look like he had many, if any, busts Saturday. Uh, we, we all know what you're getting with Ryan Kelly and Cam Robinson. And uh, we really like the potential of Rosh Piersbacher. Uh, 
the redshirt freshman at left guard and uh, was very encouraged by Dakota Ball and Hale Hinges at tight end, though Hinges did have one drop, but he caught many passes, was used as an H-back. Uh, obviously, the uh, the negatives offensively, uh, the wide receiver core as a whole, uh, you really like our Darius Stewart, eight catches, but drops by just about everyone else besides Richard Mullaney. Really, Mullaney and Ardarius were the two best players, I thought, at that position. The others, too many drops. Uh, O.J. Howard, another big drop from an Alec Morris throw that would have been about a 50-yard gain, maybe a touchdown. Uh, Calvin, you know, Calvin Ridley with a drop, but, you know, and, and a Robert Foster. But then Robert Foster turns around with, an, with the longest play from scrimmage, a 97-yarder from Alec Morris. So, you know, the receiver's got to be a little bit more consistent. Want to see more toughness out of O.J. Howard. And then, of course, the elephant in the room, the quarterback position. Uh, Alec Morris saw most of the reps with the ones. He was It was him or Jake Coker. Uh, Jake Coker throwing, threw an interception on his second rep, then bounced back and led him on a touchdown drive. But the throw, it was not a pretty drive. It was more of the uh, the circus-like play and uh, of an art, of an artist like uh, our Darius Stewart, who's going to be, I think, the next go-to guy, as Nick Saban has said, saving the bacon of one Jake Coker. But uh, just overall, Cooper Bateman was solid with the twos, but a very good drive late. Blake Barnett didn't do a whole lot. Uh, he was mostly with the twos and the threes. Did have a pick six early, but it wasn't his fault. Went right through the hands of Derek Keefe. But, and then, obviously, uh, David Cornwell is out of this competition. Uh, he didn't. He only played with the threes and didn't play well. He had an off-the-field incident that has also set him back. So, he's really not in the race. Barnett is still being developed. So, it's basically a three-horse race uh, between uh, Alec Morris, Jake Coker, and Cooper Bateman, and from what I saw Saturday, I would go with slow and steady, and that's Alec Morris because he did not turn the football over. Jake Coker did once and almost did many other times, but we will see. Still the makings of a very good team. Uh, you know, J.K. Scott punted, you know, it was mortal, but he still at near the end boomed a couple. He, I think he will be fine. Adam Griffith early made a 52-yarder, then missed a 52-yarder and missed another long one, but one of them was a bad snap. So he, he still looked somewhat better, and, I, and and he did kick off very well, got good hang time. So overall, I thought it was solid in the special teams uh, category. Just really got to figure it out at quarterback. And as we uh, come on the air tonight, that's still being decided, and it looks like it's going to be either Jake Coker or Alec Morris, and it looks like both of them will probably play against the Badgers. And I would even say that they'll both probably play against uh, the Blue Raiders of Middle Tennessee the next week, Drew. I think that week three – Ole Miss is where the rubber meets the road and where we truly learn who the starting quarterback is this year. Uh, I don't know for sure who's going to take the first series of downs uh, against Wisconsin. Uh, I know your gut says Alec Morris. My gut says Jake Coker. The only reason I'm saying Jake Coker is because when all things are relatively tied, and they're pretty close to tied. I, I know Alec played a little better in the scrimmage, but they're pretty close to tied, and they're both sharing reps with the ones this week. Cooper Bateman is still taking most of his reps with the twos. Uh, Cooper played very well Saturday, and he showed the staff that if they choose to redshirt Blake Barnett, they have that luxury. I don't know if they will choose to do that or not. As you said, Blake is still being developed. Obviously, Blake is the most physically talented quarterback on the team, but he's still thin. He's around 205. He still needs reps. He still needs film study. Uh, he, he has the tools. He is the future. And I'll even go so far as to say this, Drew, 
if Alec Morris is the starter from Ole Miss on, I still think Blake will beat him out next spring. Now, that being said, neither of us, none of the three of us, knows who's going to trot out there for the very first series against the Badgers. It, it, it could be Alec. It could be Jake. I don't think it's going to be. Oh, isn't that special? Uh, I, I don't think that it's going to be uh, Cooper Bateman. I'm on the record right now and say that when the season is over and all of the stats are, are in, that Cooper Bateman will still have taken more snaps from Cole Mazza than he has from uh, Ryan Kelly or J.C. Hassenauer or Brandon Kennedy or whoever the center is uh, when he's in the game. I don't know that he'll play much with the ones. I don't think he'll play hardly at all. But he showed them that they had the luxury to redshirt Barnett if they want to. I will give Bateman credit. He's come a long way. He's the third guy right now, but I don't think he's in the final two because two guys are getting most of the reps with the ones, and that's Alec and Jake, and it could go either way, Drew. Uh, I, I, I seriously think they're going to both play and play a lot in the first two games, and then by week three, and I know this happened in 2011, and history has a way of repeating itself, and uh, that could be the case again. Uh, that's just kind of how I see it. I, I have no way to know who's going to take that first snap, but – my gut says it's the kid from Mobile over the kid from Texas if it's a tie, but I still think the kid from Texas, even if he don't take the first snap, is going to play serious snaps in both the first two games, and I don't think it's going to shake out to the third week, Drew. Well, you know, that could easily happen. Uh, I felt for a while now they'd probably play two guys. Uh, Coker was playing so poorly at one time, and I still think he's played poorly, but they obviously want to give him an opportunity. Um, and, and let me preface this by saying, you know, I've been there's been a couple of people on Twitter that have told me that I'm biased against Jay Coker, and I just don't want him to succeed. That's there's nothing to be further from the truth. To be honest, uh, the the perfect scenario would be for Jay Coker to take the reins for one year, allow Blake Barnett to redshirt, and then allow Barnett to take the reins uh, seamlessly in 2016. But the the scrimmaging and the and the and the and the, and the practice I've been able to see, he has been so erratic that it doesn't give you a lot of confidence. You know, someone just said on Twitter that I'm friends with that. Well, Blake uh, Sims' uh, a day was atrocious. Well, the two scrimmages before a day were lights out. The first scrimmage of the fall was lights out, and then the one where he beat out Coker wasn't lights out, but it was better than Coker. And uh, Coker hasn't done that yet keep thinking it was going to click for him. It just hasn't not to say that he won't go out there and be a gamer. Uh, obviously I felt like Philip Sims at times was outperforming AJ McCarron was slightly ahead of AJ going into the season in 2011. But when the lights came on, it played itself out and AJ McCarron won the job outperformed Philip against Kent state, you know, went on to on the road to, to Penn state played well. And uh, the, the rest is history. And then afterwards, Philip Sims, you know, transferred. You know, I, I think as far as this goes, uh, they're going to give both guys a shot. Whoever moves the team, you know, I think is going to be the guy. What made me think after Saturday it was Alec Morris is because Coach Saban said a couple of things to the media that I thought were very telling. He said he thought Alec was taking command and that he was making the players around him all better. And I just think he has a knowledge of the offense was reinforced today by a source I talked to that said uh, that the young he the, he knows all the checks he knows them as hey. well as Ryan Kelly and the offensive line and uh, he he you know 
and and the O line is completely confident in Alex, you know, maturity and knowledge of the offensive scheme and thinks he can execute it. He doesn't have the biggest arm in the world. He's not the tallest guy, but I think you know he can if he can. What he's done this fall camp that he hadn't done the previous couple of years since he had a really good scrimmage in 2013 in the spring is he has turned the ball over. But he's not doing that now. And I think with the way this team is built, which is very similar to 2009 and 2013 when they were breaking in new starters, I think Alec would give them the best chance to win. But that'll, as Kerry said, it's going to play itself out. Both of them will more than likely get to, to play. Though yesterday I was hearing that Alec was behind Cooper Bateman. I can't believe that's going to continue that way. And I well, would think uh, in agreement with Kerry that it'll be Coker and uh, Morris uh, – well, let me say out. something before we bring on the first caller, Drew. Uh, Aaron Suttles had a great piece yesterday. Of, of It was an insider report on ToddSports.com where he gathered information from a bunch of sources. He made two great points about Jake Coker. One, uh, despite what's not being said, he has won the locker room. And that's why Blake Sims got the job last year. He won the locker room. Jake has won the locker room this year. And, and that's the only reason he's still in contention with Alec. Well, no, there's one more. Jake didn't complete but maybe nine or ten passes in the scrimmage this past Saturday, but he had the five best throws of the scrimmage. And, I disagree and, with that. And uh, it was it was sourced from coaches to Aaron Suttles that really well, I, film. So, um, but anyway, we'll go, we'll go ahead and, and bring on our first caller of the night. We're not going to have many callers tonight because we have a limited studio situation. But uh, Colin Big C McGuire, you also were at the scrimmage. And you even got to ask yeah. Nick Saban a question, which was funny as hell. But first, tell us about what you thought about the scrimmage, Big C. Well, I thought Morris looked pretty good the other day. Um, a friend of mine thinks Bateman looked the best to him. Uh, I don't know where you put Jake Coker in the scrimmage. Uh, I'd have to say he'd be third the way he looked the other day. Now, I don't, I'm not there every day, but I mean, and then Morris, if you remember through that long pass to uh, uh, Rick Robert Foster, you remember that play uh, on the night on the five yard line going the other way. Uh, Looks like to me, it sounds like me, Bobby Humphrey's son is starting. It's going to look like he might be if he's not a starter, he'll definitely play a lot. Uh, I know he intercepted. He took a fumble or an interception back for a touchdown the other day. Uh, now I thought Bell. I mean, King and Drake looked pretty good the other day. They didn't. They didn't run no. Uh, uh, oh, what uh, uh, Henry that much? The freshman didn't look that bad. The run. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Sam. What's the What's the running back's name? I keep keep. Damian Harris. Damian Harris. Harris. Pretty good. And uh, I'd have to say, oh. Our Darius Stewart made a heck of a catch in the end zone. That might be one of those five throws you're talking about there, Kerry. No, a defensive back got a defensive back got like three fingers on the ball, and people were acting like it should have been intercepted. But it was a great play by our Darius. But Jake did put some steam on the ball, but that that wasn't one of the five. It was five other passes he threw. But, I mean, it was a heck of a catch, too. I mean, he caught it once. No, it was deflected you know, because the defensive back made a great play and got, like, oh, okay. people were saying it should have been intercepted. If it was intercepted, it would have been on every ESPN highlight reel in the history of God, but it wasn't. It was The guy got one hand on the ball and deflected it, and our Darius yeah. made a great adjustment on it. Uh, but, anyway, no, that wasn't one of the five. 
Jake, Jake was definitely erratic, and, and you're right. He probably was the third best guy, but most of Bateman's reps came against the twos. Nobody seems to talk about that. Well, I, you know, the thing is, when you go to one of those things, you know you're sitting around a bunch of people, and you start yakking, and you, you sort of move around and stuff, and and then, you know, they put, you know, they, they'll do a drive, and then they, they'll slide up, go somewhere else, and then you don't pay close attention who's in there and all that stuff. So, really, you can't tell. I mean, that's what I could decipher from it. I mean, I think we got a lot of good players. The main thing is getting the quarterback. Would you uh, think well, it's safe to say we have one of the best defenses in the country? I think so. I believe so. Now, speaking of defense, uh, Reuben Foster made a few good plays. I know that. He just popped a few people. I remember that. Uh, uh, maybe he'll turn into be as good as I think he should be. Hopefully he will be. If he doesn't, he'll be fine. Well, I think he's nailed down a starting job. Uh, I, I think it's very clear that he's going to be the one lining up by Reggie Raglan. And uh, I expect Reuben to have a great year this year. I really do. Uh, uh, his tackling technique has been refined to the point that he's not putting himself in a position to get hurt anymore. And that's coaching. I'll give all the credit where it's due. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, that, that one play where uh, poor Harris got the ball and Reuben and Reggie sandwiched him, I thought, man, welcome to the SEC. And aren't you uh, mm-hmm. regretful of that smack talk you put out during the 707 when it was nothing but shorts and T-shirts? Well, I don't understand why these kids don't learn. It's a good idea to just keep your mouth shut instead of start talking. No, kind of like this mouth on. You never did that when you were 18, did you, Big C? You never. <laughs> no, not no. I wasn't that dumb. I was smarter than that. Maybe you don't well, about feel running my mouth like that. Uh-uh. Okay, if well. I had the ability to do that, I might have would have done that, but I didn't have the ability to do that. So. Well, all right. Well, listen, we were sitting around and we were listening to Nick Saban speak, and then he starts taking questions after the scrimmage up in the uh, up in the zone, and all of a sudden we hear this question about Gus Malzahn. And I look up, and there's Big C, which I didn't even know was there, asking Saban that question. Uh, didn't even have a microphone. Didn't need a damn microphone. And uh, Big C, why don't you tell the listeners exactly what you asked and then the great response you got from Coach. I said, I hollered out there, I said, Coach, you might not can see me, but I'm up here. By, Coach Battle can see me, but I'm upstairs here. I said, what do you think about what Gus Malzahn said about him should have put 60 on Alabama? And he said, I'm glad he said that. That's not exactly how I remember the question being asked. I think it was, what do you think about that that blank hole, Gus Malzahn? Oh, did I say that? I didn't know. Well, maybe I did. It was like. I'm one of the best Big C imitators in the history of, of, of Big C imitators. And it was more like, hey, coach. What do you think about that asshole Gus Malzahn saying they should have hung 60 on us? And then Saban, he didn't quite hear it at first, so somebody down on the front had to kind of repeat it. But you're right. He immediately said, well, I'm kind of glad he did it because, uh, you know, we look for things around here uh, to use to motivate our players, and, uh, you know, I kind of want to thank him for that. So it was a great question, and I I liked that he kind of smiled when he was giving the answer because you could tell, at least in my opinion, maybe Drew will back me up, but, it appeared that he was actually very sincere in his answer to you, Big C, and that he was kind of happy that, that Malzahn had, 
started running that trap. I, I, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy about it too, by the way. Well, I, I think oh, yeah. everybody. I think everybody is. And first of all, Big C, we hope you had a good birthday this week, brother. Roll Tide. Thank you. Appreciate that. Thank you. It was a fun day yesterday. But uh, first, and then secondly, uh, I I I like the the little sly smile he had on his face. I just hope that, you know, if Alabama can figure this quarterback thing out, you know, I think uh, all the other pieces are in place. I do think the receivers, though I did say they had too many drops, I think they will play better. Though I will say, I have it on very very good authority that the receivers and the quarterbacks were read the riot act yesterday, and Lane Kiffin did say as reported by good friend of, of this show and of Tide 991, uh, overheard by Ryan Fowler, that you bleeps, we are going to run the football more than any team in the country because you guys can't even line up correctly in a drill. So these guys, quarterback and receivers, they've got to step it up. They are the two, the, the two parts of the team. But I do think the talent is there at wide receiver. If they can find a quarterback – they can get them in the right plays and just not make mistakes. I was really impressed with the way they ran the ball Saturday when they chose to do so, especially with King Henry and with the Drake. I don't think there's any doubt they can run it. They just got to be able to throw it just well enough. And uh, hopefully one of those two guys will step up. I still think it's Alec Morris because of his football IQ, but we will see. Just not real confident in Jake Coker being able to consistently move the team and not turn the football over, but it'll all play itself out. But again, if they can figure that out, I do think defensively this group is going to be special because in two scrimmages, they've only given up a couple of big plays throwing the football. They've been very, very solid and not had a lot of busts. And I think Mel Tucker is going to pay off in spades. And I think we're seeing why Marlon Humphrey was a five-star why Minka Fitzpatrick was a five-star. Cyrus Jones is completely underrated. Now he's healthy with his hip. And you've got a cat like Tony Brown, who is a five-star kid who can really play but needs to control his emotions, that's second string. And I think that says a lot about the depth and the talent on defense. Well, when, when Tony Brown and Bradley Silve are your second-string corners, you you got a pretty damn good secondary. It, particularly when you got a, a redshirt freshman at one corner and a true freshman at the star, and and Mari Smith, who probably thought he had the star nailed down, doesn't have it nailed down. He's now basically playing the the nickel, the dime back. But back to the receivers, Drew, uh, and Big C Coop, because you were there, and Thomas, because you were there. Winston Churchill could have been talking about Robert Foster when he talked about a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma because Robert Foster is a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. One play, he's dropping an easy catch. The next play, he's uh, somehow he's convincing through hypnosis or osmosis or something, he's convincing Eddie Jackson that he's Sammy Coates and not Robert Foster and catching a (laughs) 97-yard touchdown at Bryant-Denny. What a a flashback that was. Probably the worst play Eddie's had all fall, admittedly. But uh, it, it can't happen in a game. And uh, I'll give Alec credit. He did put that ball on the money. And I'll give Rob credit. Uh, there's been a lot of talk on this show and elsewhere that Rob Foster's maybe the fastest guy on the team, particularly in the 60. And uh, nobody could run him down once he got that ball and took off for the end zone. But we need more plays like that from Rob Foster. And we need him to be able to get open and look the ball in his hands on other routes besides the go route. But that being said, there is no question about that young man's physical gifts. I mean, I, I think he's got the physical gifts uh, of Julio. 
but he doesn't have the consistency and the concentration of Julio, and I think that's the difference right now, Drew. Yeah, you know, he's got to get more consistent. There's no doubt about it. That's why Lane Kiffin blasted him at the fan day practice. He's got to do the little thing. He's got to block, got to run his routes hard if he's not the primary receiver. And, again, when he has opportunities to make plays, he got, he's got to make the catch. We, we've seen explosiveness out of him. We saw it Saturday. We saw it in the spring. It's, all, it's there. He was the number one receiver in the country three years ago. Well, now it's time for him and our Darius Stewart. And, you know, Chris Black didn't get a lot of reps. He did have a, one deep catch and a couple others. But, you know, he was still, they were still limiting him because of the ankle. But hopefully he's back. He can make plays. Uh, really liked what I saw out of Mulaney. Great hands. We haven't talked a lot about him. Uh, Coach Saban had a lot of great things to say about him, even maybe even in kickoff return capacity. But uh, the catch he made from Jake Coker, one of the two throws, I didn't see five big-time throws, but I did see a couple from Jake, and one of them on goal line was absolutely big-time. And it was a great route and great catch, all with his hands, Richard Mullaney, in the back of the end zone, no doubt about that. So I do think he's going to be a quality addition. Great job by Nick Saban and the coaching staff. And before I let you know, Big C give his thoughts, I do want to update the listeners who may not be uh, have confirmed it, but it is confirmed. Uh, there was another injury in the scrimmage. Uh, Bradley Sill did break his hand, uh, so he will he is he's practicing, but with a club. Big C got time for one more question. Well, I want I'm going to say I was going to mention Richard Mullaney, and I agree with Drew what he said about him, and uh, I don't know what else to really ask y'all, but that's. Uh, but I think he, I think he might. You think he might be first team by any chance, or he'd be in the second rotation? Well, when they go three wide, I think he's first team because he's been playing a lot of slot, and that's Chris Black's Kerry. normal. That's Chris Black's normal position, but Chris Black's missed so many reps with that ankle uh, right. that I think Richard is at least tied with him, if not ahead of him. And Richard's hands are so dependable, and his routes are so good. Uh, in, in the two wide, I'm not sure he's one of them. Uh, it's it's probably Robin or Darius, but in the three wide, I, I think for this part of the year, it it is Richard. That that's just my opinion, though. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. but and and Rob could lose his spot once Chris Black is completely healthy if he does not get his head out of his rear half the time. That's quite true. But th- they'll still have four wides where Rob plays, though. And, yes, uh, correct. But anyway, Big C, we need to let you go. Uh, I'll give you a holler a little right, bit later thanks. this week. Thank, thank you, you for Big calling C. Out Roll tide. Buddy. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. And, that's Colin Big C McGuire, the pride of Greenville, Alabama. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, Big C's been having me on his show on Friday mornings for, gosh, several years now. And uh, on the way to the beach uh, a week from this Friday, I'm actually going to stop and do the full hour with him. So I'm looking forward to that. That ought to be a hoot. I can't wait to hear, like, what kind of calls he gets there in Greenville. He's only on from 7 to 8 a.m. down in Greenville, and you can hear his podcast at jockjive.com. But Big C's a great friend of this show, and I – I tell you what, I, I just uh, I almost fell out of my chair, Drew, when I looked up and that was Big C asking that Malzahn question. Hell, I wish I had known it was. I would have yelled out Big C. I was in the back of the room pissed off. And I, I, I usually try to ask a question, but I didn't try to move toward the front of the room, and the girl with the microphone went right past me in the back. I probably could have, and I should have asked something about Richard Mullaney, but I was so disturbed about what I saw from the quarterback position, I was in a bad mood. So I didn't ask a question, but yeah, I, I did not know that was big seated. I heard the person ask it, but I didn't look up to see who it was. And that would have been quite a trip. And uh, the one and only big C would ask that question, but glad he did.
oh, it was hilarious. And the reason I knew it was him was A, the voice, and B, I was on about the fifth row, and I looked up to the left, and I saw him standing there. And uh, big big C, (laughs) oh, big C. Uh, you got to love him, man. He's he's just so full of Bama. Okay, well, uh, we're not going to waste any time bringing on our next guest on the Big Heads Barbecue Hotline. Uh, check him out at bigheadbbq.net. But uh, we're going to go ahead and bring in a colleague of mine, uh, second-time guest and uh, hopefully a regular on BAMS Radio, uh, bamamag.com and scott.com's Arnold A.P. Stedham, who is a man of, uh, of traveling and uh, a man who spent some time on the West Coast this week. Uh, AP, first off, how you doing tonight? Or maybe we don't have AP. <laughs> okay, well, we'll try AP again later. Um, but anyway, what AP has been up to, uh, he is uh, on assignment, I guess you'd say, on the west coast and he got to see the 49ers cowboys exhibition over the weekend and uh he got to check out rolando mcclain quentin dial and uh deandre white and also he was at raiders practice today where he got to check out trent richardson and amari cooper so uh we're gonna keep trying to get ap uh we have uh we don't really have a lot to work with on this show guys because our regular studio for taking inbound calls and it's not working. So uh, we are going to keep trying to get him, and uh, we will let y'all know how that goes. Uh, in the meantime, let's let's get back to the scrimmage. Drew, it was rather exciting to me to see that the two guys back on kickoff return, first kickoff return, <laughs> Kenyon Drake and Ardarius Stewart, there's really not anybody you can kick away from there. Well, no way, and I can attest to this beyond a shadow of a reasonable doubt that our Darius Stewart is not afraid to light somebody up. Right. He played safety at Fultondale High School. He will get physical. And I think the the lack of prowess in the blocking department is one reason why Robert Foster has not been back there. But, of course, you don't want to get either young man hurt. But I, I, I uh, couldn't agree more, Kerry. Our Darius could also do damage as a returner but as a blocker very very interesting move and a good move because i've always i i liked him as a safety coming to alabama but obviously he's found a home at wide receiver but uh i definitely I agree with you that's quite a pairing uh the first kickoff return yep and uh you're right about why our Darius is back there uh he'll hit you and uh <laughs> but like i what i was trying to say was if you if you kick away from kenyon and our Darius feels the ball, say yes. around the five yard line. He he also can go to the house. Yes. I mean he's a he, he's an exciting player. To me, he's a taller version of uh, Tyrone Prothro. <clears throat> uh, I believe we have AP Stedham with us now from BamaMag.com. AP, what's going on? Hey, Kerry, how are you? Doing good, man. Thanks for joining us. I was telling our listeners, uh, and this again is AP Stedham, Scott.com, BamaMag.com. Good friend of Bama's radio and good friend of mine. AP, you've been out on the West Coast this week, and you've been able to observe some former Alabama players, uh, about a half dozen or so. Kind of go ahead and tell the listeners, uh, starting off with just what you've been up to the last few days and, and what exactly that you've seen out there. Well, well today, Kerry, uh, I had a chance to stop by the Oakland Raiders training camp, and this, this practice was similar to Alabama. We just saw them warm up, but I did have a chance to speak with Head coach Del Rio about Amari Cooper, 
the number one draft choice for the Raiders and Trent Richardson. And Amari is as good as advertised. All the folks in Oakland are so happy and, and pleased to have him as part of their organization. They haven't had a thousand yards receiver in quite a while. Amari's a quick study. He, he's been doing very well picking up the offense. And then we also spoke about Trent Richardson. I asked Coach Jack Del Rio directly what he would do to, to uh, have to do to make the squad. And he said he's got to show that burst of speed like he showed at Alabama. So, and he's, he's playing special teams as well. So both players are with the Raiders. Of course, Amari Cooper, he's definitely be part of the squad. But Trent Richardson right now, he's and it's interesting because he, the former running back at Auburn, Michael uh, Dwyer, is out there as well. Yeah. Also, a- a- Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Drew. I'm sorry. Uh, AP, this is Drew. How are you, man? Glad to see you be able to go out there and watch them practice. I wanted to ask you, though, from the Raiders' perspective, did you talk to anybody about what their take is with Snake? Of course, Kenny passing away. I know it saddened their organization, but are they optimistic that he's going to get into the Hall of Fame uh, this time around? Well, I did have a chance, Drew, and good to speak with you as well. I had a chance to speak to some of the people around the NFL, um, and I believe the, uh, one person told me that they t- thought Kenny is a slam dunk to get into the Hall of Fame this time. Uh, one person also said he's 90% there. And I just wanted to let your listeners know the best thing to do right now, the best advice I've received from a number of selection committee members is to let the process play out. And in the words of Paul McCartney, let it be. Words of wisdom indeed. And thank you for that, uh, AP. Uh, we were going to get to that. I'm glad you went ahead and covered it. Tell us also about your trip uh, to San Francisco where you saw at least three former Alabama players competing in that game between the Cowboys and the Niners. Right. We had a chance to see Quentin Dial, and this is a year, uh, a big year for him. Coach Tom Sula was very pleased because he was the former de- defensive line coach before becoming the head coach of the 49ers. I mean, he couldn't say enough good things about Quentin and his development. And he, he's a you know, very versatile player. He's, he's big, you know, 6'5", about 315. And they're very pleased with him. And he had a half a sack in the game in a few, few series that he played against the Cowboys. So this is a, uh, a chance he's going to have to start for the 49ers organization. So that's a good thing for Quentin. And then also the undrafted free agent rookie from Alabama, DeAndre White, has been very impressive. The media members, they really like him, the coaching staff, and, you know, they're really happy what, what, what he's done. He's got good speed, he's got good hands, he runs good routes, he's playing a kick return, punt return, punt return coverage as a gunner. So he's got a good chance to make the team as well. And uh, Roe, um, Rolando McClain, you know, he's, he's on the suspended list right now with the Cowboys, so he wasn't at this game. But he's got a lot of ability, as everyone knows, at Alabama. He's got to get his situation straightened out. But he, he can play in this league a long time, but it's, it's really up to him. It's really up to him. You know, that's interesting about DeAndrew because he served as a blocker on certain kickoff returns for Alabama, but he got next to no, I don't even remember him returning any punts at Alabama, uh, but he's doing those things to try to make the 49ers and, and, and they've got a, a pretty good receiver core there guys under contract, but it was his choice to go to San Francisco because he felt like that that was his best opportunity to play in the league. And it seems like so far AP that they've been fairly impressed with DeAndrew. 
Yes, everybody I spoke to, I mean, that's the first they said to me when I said I was from Bellamen. Right away, they said, oh, Andrew White, he's been playing, he's very impressive. I mean, this is some of the beat writers. They couldn't wait to talk to me about Andrew. And, and you know, it's interesting, Drew and Terry, when you talk to those two players, they really like playing football. And, and I'm sure you've interviewed some players in the past that they didn't have a big smile when they talked about playing football. These two guys, they really have a passion for the game. I mean, Quentin Dow, I asked him, you know, what's the best thing for you about NFL football? Said, Every Sunday, I just love playing football. And DeAndre, he was the same way. He just had mentioned that word, I have a passion for the game. I have never told anybody on the show this, but a, a friend of mine used to own a restaurant in, in uh, the Clay Charlottesville area, and it was called Legend Smokehouse. It was a barbecue and kind of a meet-and-three type place. And Quentin was actually his dishwasher while he was in high school. And uh, he would find time to come in there and work uh, 15, 20 hours a week in between lifting weights and football practice and all that. And even my friend at the time was telling me about what a great work ethic that, that Quentin has. And apparently that – and certainly uh, Aaron Murray can attest to that because he got the hell knocked out of him on an interception. But <laughs> even that being said, uh, it, it sounds like the Niners are, are happy with the progress that, that Quentin is making. Yeah, I mean – the last two years, uh, the first year he played about three games, and then the next year I think it was uh, 14, and he had about 30 tackles and a couple sacks. So it's been a steady climb for him. And he told me something interesting that his former defensive line coach, Coach Rump, he said, you know, take advantage of this opportunity because there's millions of players that would be in your position. And so he took that to heart. And he's been a hard worker, as you, as you attested to, you know, your friend. I believe that story totally because he just had that type of personality. He's very genuine and sincere. And you know, like I said, Coach Tom Silva, he couldn't wait for me to finish the question so he can talk about Quentin. And he said he's making Alabama proud. Before Drew asks you the next question, I wanted to tell you about my friend, A.P., uh, his name is Randy Walls, and the restaurant has since closed. He's gone to another area of work. But Randy's dad, Clay Walls, and I know you love history, AP, is why I'm sharing this. Randy's dad, the late Clay Walls, was a quarterback at Alabama under Ears Whitworth and was the guy that played at, during the times which were unfortunately frequent. When Bart Starr was injured, Clay Walls got the reps in the games at quarterback. And so that's his uh, – his, he worked for Clay Walls' his son, Randy. Uh, but Drew has got a question for you as well. Yes, AP. I know you mentioned the they're they're so happy with uh so far so good with Amari Cooper. Uh, I know you probably you you spoke to the Raiders about him extensively, but uh, how did what did they seem to think about the synergy between him and Derek Carr? I know uh, Carr is uh is someone that they're trying to develop, and they, they thought had a very fine rookie year, but now uh, with Amari, and now of course uh, with they they we were speaking of 49ers, but they brought in the former 49er wide receiver. The man from Texas Tech to kind of be the uh, be the uh, the the Batman or uh, to Superman with Amari, but kind of talk about how they they think their receivers are going to be along with Coop, especially with the Raiders. Yeah, it was interesting you mentioned Derek Carr. I had a chance to speak with him today as well, and right away he said what a great work ethic that Amari brings to the program, and he's he's done everything that was um, you know when they scouted him. He has good hands. He's fast. Runs excellent routes. And he, he makes that break in his route, and he has that separation. And Derek was really impressed with his 
speed and elusiveness as well. But Derek is, I mean, he couldn't, his smile was from one side of San Francisco to Oakland. And also, a final pro football question for you, AP. You, you touched on this briefly, but, uh, I mean, what are the realistic odds that Trent Richardson makes the opening day roster for the Raiders? I, I think, I mean, I've heard whispers that it's going to be difficult uh, for him because he, he hasn't shown the ability to run to daylight. And in the NFL, as you and Drew know, when there's that opening, You've got to get through it. You can't dance in the backfield. You've got to get right to the hole and make progress. There's no time like you had maybe at Alabama when you could dance in the backfield and select the hole. You've got to find it quickly and move forward. Yeah, and and that and that's been surprising with Trent. Uh, but I think that's been the biggest knock on him. The NFL. I think, of course, he's been a little heavy, but also his lack of vision. I know there was the tweet out there with the video clip showing that early with the Raiders in training camp where if he had cut back, he would have walked into the end zone, but he's just going to have to keep grinding. Uh, but this may be his final opportunity. You hope that he finally comes into his own. It's been interesting that Michael Dyer from Auburn slash Louisville has been impressive in camp and could end up taking a job from Trent, but you hope uh, that he can somehow continue to grind and and find a way to get uh, to get an opportunity with the Raiders, but and it was Michael Crabtree who I was uh, referring to too. I think him and Amari can be an excellent combo, and I really like uh, the hire of Jack Del Rio as Raiders head coach. I think it's the best hire they've had since John Gruden. Now they just need to kind of get some more pieces in place from a right through the draft and through free agency in the next year or so. But hopefully the Raiders are finally uh, on the right track. Yeah, Drew, no, you brought up a good point, and um, I forgot to mention that about Michael Crabtree. You know, he's been a, a productive guy in college, and you know, maybe the Raiders is a team where he's going to flourish now with Amari on the other side. I mean, it, it definitely helps when they can't take you out of the ball game. Drew. If you have uh, another threat on the other side, it, it, you know, it's, it's Batman and Robin, you know, however you want to term it. It's nice to have a partner that's almost as talented or equally as talented because it makes you a better player and you'll, and you'll be on a team longer and be more productive many more years. All right. Well, AP, the other reason that I wanted you to call is uh, we already know you to be a champion of causes. Uh, you've been on board completely in helping with the Kenny Stabler Hall of Fame deal. But another cause you have recently become involved with, and, and one that I think would be near and dear to the hearts of older Alabama fans, is a project called the Wishbone Boys. Tell the listeners what it is and how they can get involved. Yeah, the Wishbone Boys was started by a gentleman whose name is Tim Card. And Tim is he's from Mobile originally, raised in Atlanta, and he's been in Hollywood quite a few years. He was the stuntman for the Dukes of Hazzard, John Schneider. So he he was in that world with Hal Needham and Burt Reynolds and all those people. But he's been, I mean, as you well know, there's only one type of Alabama fan, and that's huge. I mean, I, I tell everybody all the time, I never met a small Alabama fan at all. He's a big Alabama fan. But he wanted to make the, you know, undertake this project of the Wishbone Boys. He visited with Mal Moore four years ago. And, of course, Mal was, was thrilled to be, you know, spearheading that, that project. And, and Mal was the offensive coordinator. He, he got him started with the project, but, but now it's, all, it's been sanctioned by the university, and they met with Bill Battle, 
but we're looking for some funding. And, and it's about the wishbone era of 1971 to 1982. Coach Bryant had that, made that courageous move and smart move and brilliant move. And when they raised three more banners in the 70s, 73, 78, and 79, and they won, I think, with eight SEC titles and another 100 games in a decade. So they had a reunion. It was March of 2014 at Orange Beach. There was about 150 of the former players that came back, and they were filmed uh, by Tim and his crew and looking for funding for this project. You can go to kickstarter.com. And you can go in the new project window and just type in the Wishbone Boys and you can make your donation. And they can go on ObamaMag.com and actually see a snippet, correct? Yes. Uh, good point, Terry. Uh, I forgot that. You can watch the trailer that's been uh, on the website, Kickstarter website, and they can go on Facebook, the Wishbone Boys, on Twitter, the Wishbone Boys, and they'll see what some may call the best wishbone quarterback and the first wishbone quarterback, Terry Davis, t talking about the offense and Major Ogilvy and, uh, you know, uh, Jimmy Sharp was the offensive line coach. And it, it's, a, it's a really well-done project. I mean, I know I'm part of it, so I'm, I'm a little biased, of course. But, but Tim, you know, it's been in Hollywood. He's, he's been around productions many, many years. And, like I say, there was over 150 of the former players returned and, and everyone's excited. We're just trying to get some funding for this project to to uh, finish it and, and then complete it. And it's funny because the I was at Alabama as a student uh, for our six academic years because I got a master, just went straight through and did that. And it was the final six years of the wishbone. And uh, <laughs> and, and and I will agree with you in in that Terry Davis was probably the best engineer of it. But I'll tell you what. Another number 10 that played while I was a student, Stedman Sheely, was also very, very good at it. You're, you're correct, Terry, uh, and I forgot to say he was also in the trailer. You, you can see him talking about the offense, the actual mechanics, and he, he did a very good job in his appearance. And it was a period of time, and I know that, that Drew and Thomas, in, in fairness to them, they're not really old enough to remember this, but it was a period of time when a lot of the country was, was running the wishbone, Texas was among the first. And then Emory Ballard uh, started it at Mississippi State. Uh, Alabama picked it up, shocking people. Uh, nobody knew it was coming. Coach Bryant closed practices, which he never did. Uh, they actually lined up in the L.A. Coliseum in a non-televised Friday night game, AP. Lined up pregame in the eye with Johnny Musso at tailback. And then the, the ball game starts, and they come out in the wishbone, and pardon my French, but USC is like, what the hell are they doing? And and, and it, it was a, a close game. It was a hard-fought game. But it was the kickstart to a golden age of Alabama football. I like the way you work that in, Terry. I mean, Terry, kickstart. I like that. But uh, I, I think the first couple of plays, actually, uh, Joe LaBue, I remember Joe telling me, that Johnny lined up at fullback in the first couple of plays. Yeah, that was a uh, that was one of those games that was on the radio. But boy, you wish it would have been on TV because uh, I know people. It was a late night game because it was a West Coast kickoff, and uh, they, you know, the, the phrase "shock the world" gets overused in sports. But that night in Los Angeles, they, Alabama did shock the world. AP. Yeah, they. I mean, especially when 
primarily most of those players on USC had beaten Alabama in Birmingham on the road. I guess that was 42-21. We got the final score of that game in 1970. I should know it by now. I've seen it a hundred times. I mean, I'm trying to make it disappear. But essentially it was the same team. And, and here it is Alabama held them to only 10 points on the road and, and managed to get 17 just enough and win that game. And it was a Friday night game, which was very unusual. I'm not sure exactly to this day why that game was played on Friday. Maybe UCLA was playing the next day because they used to play this LA College team as well. Yep. But uh, tell them one more time how they can support uh, Wishbone Boys. Yeah, you go to kickstarter.com and type into the new project window for Wishbone Boys, and it should pop up, and you, you can make a donation. And uh, about how much do they have left they need to raise? Oh, it, it's, it, it's quite, a, quite a few thousand, uh, Kerry. It's, uh, I think the goal is like 125000 Okay. And, well. and most of that, most of that, most of that cost really is when you're using footage. It's very expensive to use footage of these televised games. It's very expensive. And and just to give you another little uh, tidbit, to use original music is very expensive as well. All right. Well, uh, th- you, there you have it, sports fans. And uh, we want to thank you as always for joining us here on BAMS Radio. AP Stedham from BAMAMag.com. Uh, we'll be contacting you again in the coming months because we want you to be a regular here with us. Hey, appreciate it, Kerry. Thank you for having me. W- wish everybody well. All yeah, right. Thank you. That's uh, Arnold. Be safe AP in uh, California, Arnold. Thank you yeah. for joining us, bud. Yep. AP Stedham, great job as always. Uh, he leads a, an interesting life, Drew. Uh, he does a lot of traveling, and uh, it, it's a bonus to our listeners and, well, and particularly our readers on BamaMag.com that that he has the means to where he can go out there and, and do stories on Amari Cooper, Trent Richardson, uh, Q Dial, DeAndre White. I didn't realize that Rolando didn't play in the game. I thought suspensions didn't apply to preseason games, but hey, he made the Rolando apparently wasn't there. But Rolando's, as AP said, got a great future in the league. If he can uh, keep his head on straight, uh, I would say yep. that, that Laurent, that you made the, the point about Trent maybe being his last shot. Uh, Rolando is no problem between the chalk, but it's the off the field stuff that, that has messed him up. Judgment. Yes. You think at some point they'll kind of grow into it, but, uh, you know, he's got, but you know, Rolando's a pretty young guy. I don't think he's but like 24 or 25, even now. Yes. And he's been gone a while, but, but at some point you got to start making better decisions. And hopefully this will be the year that happens. Hopefully having to be away from the competition the first four weeks, we'll, we'll do that for him. And with Trent, uh, I just can't really put a finger on it. Uh, what What is holding him back, Drew? I really don't know. Well, it's it's just one of those things. I think, uh, honestly, he had a solid rookie year with the Cleveland Browns, and then, but you can't you could you always have to continue to improve. And you and of course the Browns had a uh, management change and decided to trade him for a first round pick, which means he was still very highly thought of by the Colts. I thought being with a great quarterback, it would be awesome for Trent. Uh, and then he could he could he would finally be able to come into his own and have a supporting cast, but he struggled. I don't think the the Colts O line was the greatest, but I do think that Trent has an issue with vision. 
and I think it's why uh, he's he 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 was a great player at Alabama, strong, fast, but he played behind a really good offensive line, and I think a lot of times, but in the NFL, it's uh, they're even bigger, even stronger, even faster, and when you see him that that with the lack of the, the of vision and being a little heavy and maybe not you know working, maybe he was always known as a worker. I thought at Alabama, but. I never knew how he was in the film room. If you don't study all the time, if you're not a student of the game, it catches up to you. And, you know, Mark Ingram's had health issues, but he always had great vision. He always seemed to be a guy that did things right on and off the field. You never heard him getting in trouble at Alabama. Uh, so he's been able to to come into his own finally once he got healthy. The You know, the, the, the uh, Saints realized what they had in him when he made the Pro Bowl this last year. And then with Eddie Lacy, same deal. He went. He was with a great. He went lower than he wanted to, but he got drafted by a great organization with a great QB. But both, you know, Eddie and uh, Mark, I think have been better students of the game. And with Trent, you've got to be a student of the game to play because it's so cutthroat, and you only really get two or three years to prove yourself, uh, Kerry. And then after that, the NFL's ready to move on because of the contracts, as you know, most of them are not guaranteed. They are. They are. And speaking of moving on, before we go to break, and we'll only take one uh, three or four-minute break tonight, but before we go to break, and speaking of moving on, Drew, it was announced today that University of Alabama System Chancellor Dr. Robert Whit yes. is retiring at the end of August 2016. So we're only going to be able to enjoy his leadership for one more year. And this is a guy, Drew, that gets it as far as how athletics and particularly football play a key role in things like drawing academic students to the University of Alabama. And he has been so great for this university, both as president and chancellor. And uh, we want to wish him well, but we're also thankful for the fact that we do have him for another 12 months. Well, no question. And in the history of Alabama as a school and as a, a football program and as an athletic department, I think historically he's every bit as significant as Dr. Denny. Yeah, and I'll tell you another one that was the president when I was there was Dr. David Matthews. He got it. He did. He <laughs> Coach Bryant tried to resign one time uh, because he was wanting to talk to the Miami Dolphins, and, and, and Dr. Matthews just wouldn't take his resignation and well, finally, talked, finally talked him into staying. And, uh, you know, there, there's been some presidents like Joab Thomas that didn't get it, but then there's been some like David Matthews and, and Bob Whit. And, uh, you know, just Bob Witt's just been great for Alabama, one of the best uh, academic hires they've ever made. And I'm a little bit sad to see him go, but then again, I understand. Yes, I mean, you understand. He wants to enjoy uh, life now and take a break. Uh, he's helped uh, just explode the university, their enrollment, uh, their facilities as a school and uh, as an athletic department. And I think, you know, obviously uh, they've – they, 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 you know, they, 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 they've had, they now have a new president in place and they were, they were meticulous in choosing him to come over from LSU, uh, because I think he's someone that had the, 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 the stamp of everyone involved that does get it and does understand athletics. And I think, uh, whoever succeeds Dr. Witt, the same will be said because honestly, I mean, you, they have to work in synergy together. But an outstanding football program and athletic department as a whole helps your university in so many ways. It helps grow the school, attract uh, even scholars to the school, attract students. 
And of course that means money. And then that means uh, that your university grows in popularity because now with the, with the sec network and the explosion of the dollars and with the athletic departments and, and the TV exposure, one of the best advertisements uh, for your school is national television. And uh, it helps uh, because a lot of students are also sports fans. Let's not get it twisted. And oh, it helps yeah. attract uh, a lot of great people to your university. It does. So with that said, uh, we wish the best to Dr. Whit. And we're just going to uh, go ahead and take our first and only break of the, of the night. And we're going to go ahead and give Thomas time to get a hold of John Garcia. And uh, for now, we're going to take a break. But you're listening to BAMS Radio, a member of the Bama Sports Radio family. Okay, we're back on BAMS Radio. Uh, thank you again for listening to this podcast-only version. We apologize for the technical difficulties that not allow us to receive calls or broadcast live for you this week. We hope to have all that corrected long before next Wednesday. And uh, I'm Kerry Clark, your co-host. I work with BAMAMAG.com, which is divisionofscout.com, and I'm joined, as always, by our producer in the studio, Thomas Watts, Along with Drew DeArmond, Thomas works for Touchdown Alabama Magazine. Drew DeArmond, he works for ESPN 97.7 The Zone and has a show called Talking Ball that airs Monday through Friday, noon to 2 Central. If you have not heard it, you're missing out. It is a great show. Uh, I've been following Sports Talk Radio for a number of years, and I've never seen a show with the amount of consistently great guests and interviews as Drew DeArmond has on Talking Ball at 97.7 The Zone in Huntsville. It's such a good show that it recently expanded from one hour to two. So my hat's off to Drew. I'm extremely happy for him and proud of him, and I'm glad that BAMS Radio could play a smart, a, a small role in Drew getting that radio mm-hmm. gig. And uh, that being said, uh, for the second time this week, but uh, Drew will be talking to John Garcia, but it's the first time for BAMS Radio. So I'm going to go ahead and bring on my co-worker at BamaMag.com and Scott.com, John Garcia. We've already had AP Stedham in hour one. We got me as a host, and we got John Garcia joining us now. And then next week in hour one, we're going to have Kirk McNair. So uh, Scott.com, BamaMag.com uh, is developing a very nice and fun partnership with BAMS Radio, and, and, and I'm very, very happy to say that. But welcome into BAMS Radio, John Garcia. Oh, Terry, I really appreciate it. You know, nothing wrong with a little cross-pollination. 
Yeah, it's it's great, particularly when you can go from uh, you know, radio to journalism and back to journalism and the occasional video and but anyway, John, uh, you know, we haven't had you on, I guess, for about a month or so, and uh, you know, so much has changed on the landscape of, of Alabama recruiting. I don't even really know where to start, but why don't we just start by talking about uh, what it, I guess it, it turned out to be a surprise visitor from one of the top players in the state of Mississippi and a young man that, in my opinion, because he's a similar player, can help Alabama make up for the apparent coming loss of Marlon Davidson. Tell us a little bit about the young man from Oxford, Mississippi, that showed up for the scrimmage Saturday. Yeah, Jeff Simmons, one of the top really players in the country now. I think that within and of itself is a big story, Terry. This kid a year ago, a little bit of a tweener, sort of, you know, in that 6'3", 240, 250 range. Is he a jack? Is he an outside guy? Can he play with his hand in the dirt? Is he big enough? Is he strong enough? Well, now he's about 270 pounds, completely bulked up. But much like we saw with Anthony Jennings in the 2015 cycle, he maintained all of the traits that made him an SEC prospect to begin with. So that translated to a ridiculous performance last Friday night against Starkville High School, which, as many people in the South know, is one of the powers in the state of Mississippi. He was absolutely a terror, depending on which report you looked at. Double-digit tackles, up to five sacks. He forced a fumble. He blocked a kick. He pretty much did anything and everything a defensive end type of prospect could do in one game. And a lot of that was going against Kobe Jones, another SEC prospect with multiple SEC offers. So it's already impressive. And when you think of who he did it against, it only raises that eyebrow even more. And you said one of the top prospects, Kerry. I think he is now the top prospect in the state of Mississippi. This is confirmation from what we saw all summer. He killed it at every camp he went to, including Alabama's camp. And it's there where he started to really pick up his interest in the Crimson Tide. UA offered him fairly early, right after the in-state schools did. So it's really been a three-team race from day one between Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and Alabama, LSU. Um, a couple of other programs are still trying to get in there. Southern Miss is in there. His brother does play for the Golden Eagles. However, both expected to be a three-team race in the SEC West. And Bama, fortunate enough to host him on Saturday, like you said, a surprise visit, and it became more of a surprise visit uh, on Saturday morning because of how much he did Friday. He was on an emotional high. He was banged up. He, he had a death in the family that he was dedicating the game to. He uh, was cramping up during the game and certainly after. He admitted to barely sleeping on Friday evening. For, so for him to go through all of that, still take that true trust to Lucia on his own dime, I think speaks volumes as to where Alabama stands on his list. Of course, it's going to be a very, very tough scenario to get him out of the state of Mississippi. That kind of stuff is very well documented. But again, as of right now, Alabama has to like their chances. His quote to me after visiting, I just can't get enough of Alabama. He loves Bo Davis. Uh, he loves the players on the team at the different positions. He's a big DJ Petway fan from when he saw him as an East Mississippi community college player. There's a lot of developing connections with Alabama, with Jeff Simmons, and he is very high on the board. So typically, Bama does not miss on a guy with that much going for it. Uh, but he's going to take his time regardless. But still, a very big visitor to get on campus in that short-notice type of scenario. It shows legit interest from one of the emerging prospects, really, in the entire country, a guy who's vaulting straight into not only the top 100, but possibly the top 50 on scout once we readjust our rankings. 
and and I agree, John. I mean, there's no doubt after you know the summer that he's had, and of course the spring, summer, and the week one against Starkville, Simmons is uh is headed for five star status. But I wanted to talk about something that happened tonight that I know you were all over at scout.com. And the reason it's interesting is because uh, it, it involves a, a prospect that has been linked to Alabama and was thought to be high on their radar, but he was committed to Florida State. But now, Wakulla High School in Crawfordville, Florida, you know, the wide receiver Keith Gavin uh, decommits 6'4, 215 pounds from Florida State tonight. Uh, Tosh Lupoy had been recruiting him for the Crimson Tide. The Wide receiver position has been very interesting to follow, to say the least. Uh, and, of course, A.J. Brown of Starkville is another one that Alabama is very high on, and, of course, Kevin Ridley. But what do you think Alabama will be and continue to be heavily involved with Gavin now that he is officially decommitted from the Knowles? I do, Drew. This is a, You talked about it. You listed his size right there, a jumbo athlete type. But I have confirmed, Bama wants him as a wide receiver. So the position that we have had our heads with the most in terms of trying to figure out which guys end up in the class now really has another name on it uh, to make the pot uh, a little sweeter. This kid, as you mentioned, committed to Florida State, lives 20 minutes from Tallahassee. So the fact that he actually publicly backed off of the commitment, somewhat of a surprise, but the fact that he's considering Alabama, not a surprise. Despite his commitment to FSU, he had been to campus several times, I believe three visits since committing to Florida State uh, for Keith Gavin at um, Alabama. So certainly this isn't uh, something out of the blue in terms of considering Alabama. I wouldn't go straight to saying Bama is the front runner, but when it comes to that wide receiver pecking order, we know, uh, all, all of us know, it's changed so much. Literally month to month, it seems like there was no talk of Michael Jones. He pops up and there's a considerable talk about Michael Jones. Same thing with Darnell Solomon. Now Keith Gavin sort of in that slot right now. He is a guy that Bama really, really likes. Like you said, big kid, a tough kid, but a guy who is looked at primarily at wide receiver. And I think that's one of the most important parts of Alabama's recruitment of Keith because Keith wants to play wide receiver at the next level. A lot of people like him at linebacker. Some people like him as a tight end down the road, but he wants to play wide out. Bama likes him at wide out. So that's a big factor. Obviously, familiarity helps. He's close to the same group of prospects and players that produced Ronnie Harrison. There's sort of a circle up there in northern Florida. So that is to Alabama's advantage as well. Uh, so I would expect Keith to be back on campus probably multiple times this fall, not only to see his boy Ronnie, but certainly to check out his own recruitment. And in his statement of decommitting that he posted on Twitter, I guess about an hour and a half ago, Drew, he made it kind of seem like he's not considering Florida State anymore. It, was, it seemed much like a goodbye uh, as opposed to some where we see they, they're like, we're still considering school X, like uh, sort of Terrell Hall in Ohio State, uh, for example. Sometimes it seems like they're still in the mix, and other times it seems like they're very much saying goodbye, and this seemed like the latter from Keith Gavin. So that in and, in and of itself, another sort of surprise in this whole thing, as we mentioned, 20 minutes away from Tallahassee. Um, so Bama in, in very good shape. Bama fans should definitely track this kid and, perhaps prepare for some irony because he, he plays for the Wakula War Eagles. That, that is his team mascot in high school. So this could be a fun irony to, to play up all through the fall. But as you would imagine, when, when we see a kid decommit, you expect him to take his time. So I would expect Gavin to take his time. But, again, I do expect him in Tuscaloosa fairly soon and possibly multiple times before he is ready to pull the trigger again. And, and before Kerry asks uh, you know, his next question, I just wanted to ask, 
with this kid decommitting and with the board changing, uh, I think Josh Perry will probably end up at another school. Do you foresee a way that Alabama could take a fourth receiver, or do you still think it would just be three, along with the commitment, T.J. Simmons of Clay Chalkville? Yeah, I think, Drew, if that, if that fourth receiver type, uh, we'll, we'll call it receiver type, is taken, I think it's got to be a versatile guy. Maybe a guy who can play tight end, like a Nick Eubanks type, if you consider him a wide receiver tight end hybrid, or a guy who can play defensive back, like a Trevon Diggs, um, a guy like that who can do a little bit on the other side of the football. I think you have to sort of um, you know, play that versatile card, much like you had with Shaheen Carter when he was committed, uh, another guy still on the board from the state of Louisiana. So I think if you do replace him with a quote-unquote wide receiver, it's got to be one who could do something else. And, and luckily for Alabama, with all of these big-time receivers out there, and we just mentioned Keith Gavin, who has experience and, and considerable experience on defense, you can get a guy who has played very good on the defensive side of the football at the next level. Pi Young out of Miami is another one down the road to keep an eye on as a two-way prospect that is very, very hot on Alabama. So, again, the wide receiver board is plentiful. We haven't even talked about former commitment Demetrius Robertson, another two-way guy, uh, in addition to guys you've mentioned, Kevin Ridley, Darnell Solomon, Michael Jones. The list goes on and on with wide receivers Bama is high on and that have reciprocated it to that point. So it really is starting to look like Bama's almost going to have its pick at wide receiver. The fun part begins, you know, which guys do they pick? Do you go with the legacy guy in Kevin Ridley? Do you go with the pseudo-legacy guy in Michael Jones, who's, of course, played high school ball with uh, Dalen Charlotte, the other freshman wide receiver? So there's a lot of uh, interesting scenarios developing at wide receiver. It tells me two things. One, Bama could somewhat be selective, and two, probably going to take a while until it's all figured out. And if they do get to that fourth spot, Drew, I do envision it being a two-way guy. So guys like Trevon Dix, who says Alabama lead. A guy like Pi Young, who says Alabama's in his top two. A guy like Keith Gavin, who we expect Bama to almost be the front runner for. Those guys come to the forefront as that potential fourth guy. And that could swing Josh Perry, you know, at the end of the day for Alabama. So a lot of dominoes left, you know, Bama fans. Just because you see 20-something commitments, don't think that this thing is, is close to being over because it's very, very far from being over. John, I wanted to ask you about a uh, tidbit of uh, information and not necessarily a positive tidbit that our crack research and scouting staff uncovered just in the last few days. And it's not really unexpected because of where the kid is located, but it would appear that the uh, commitment of Cam Akers to Alabama is uh, a little bit tenuous based on what Scout learned this week. Yeah, you know, and Cam that day, you know, told me that this was a very tough decision, but, you know, as soon as he gave me his statement as to why he picked Alabama, without me even asking, he followed it up with, but I'm still going to take my visits, X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z. So, Sam is, you know, he's from Mississippi, as you alluded to. Uh, he's a big-time prospect, an FCC-type prospect. He told me that day he committed that Tennessee is a school he was extremely high on, and he followed that up and remained and maintained the balls as his number two school. So that's that is, that's pretty surprising uh, by itself. Uh, but, of course, the in-state schools are in there as well. Florida State, Georgia, very high on his list. So, this is an ongoing scenario, much like we've seen with Raquan Davis committing out of the state of Mississippi, much like we saw with Leo Lewis committing out of the state of Mississippi, much like we're going to see in 2017 with D.D. Bowie, who committed out of the state of Mississippi. It's just one of those things that Bama has to recruit all the way through, very similar to Louisiana. Shaheen Carter was committed for a year before backing off 
Davis has been committed for more than a year, and, and people will not be surprised if he backed off of his commitment tomorrow. So it's just one of those things. He's a 2017 kid. You're going to have to recruit him all the way through. The, the easy way for Bama fans to remember how tough it's going to be is the closer you are to SEC country and the further away he is from signing, the more you're going to have to not only recruit him, but recruit as if he was not even in the class. This is something Bama has learned both the hard way uh, and the easy way. So it's, it's something, something they're certainly prepared uh, to handle with a guy like Cam. Uh, and their other running back in 2017, for that matter, Najee Harris out of California, very similar situation, though he's not in SEC country. So Alabama is very much used to this uh, sort of game and this sort of part of the process. So I was actually talking to a fellow scout employee yesterday, and, and we were joking about, you know, we need to stop putting the word commitment on there and just put, you know, favorite. Bama is the favorite to land Cam Akers instead of having him as a commitment because a lot of these kids still continue to take visits literally sometimes the day after they make the commitment, like Demetrius Robinson commits to Alabama on a Saturday. I believe on Sunday he was visiting Auburn. <laughs> Same thing that, uh, you know, Calvin Ridley, Sean Burge-Becker did uh, many moons ago. I mean, this is something that is it's so common now in recruiting that it should almost be expected. And, and the two rarities are the guys that don't take any other visits. A guy like a TJ Simmons, a guy like a Deontay Brown, in-state kids who commit and they're just done with their recruitment, Riley Cole or a Jonah Williams out on the West Coast. Those guys have committed to Alabama, haven't even thought about other programs. Those guys, you, you almost think, should be covered a little bit more. But, of course, that doesn't get as many clicks as a guy like Cam Akers who commits and then a couple of weeks later is already saying Tennessee's my number two. My in-state schools are still going to get serious looks as well as many others like Georgia, like Florida State and others. So it's just part of the, uh, I guess, ongoing recruiting culture um, in social media culture where these kids are influenced every single day. So it's something every school has to prepare for as well, and Bama has done just that. Well, and, John, uh, let's... Yeah, I, I'm so sorry, Kerry. I was just going to ask, John, uh, there's obviously been, uh, a, and I know the listeners are, are going to want to hear a little bit about Nigel Knott because he's now set his commitment date to September the 23rd. And he's an interesting prospect because his father, David Knott, played at Ole Miss but was an arena football star in Huntsville, Alabama for the Tennessee Valley Vipers and has settled in the Huntsville area. And uh, obviously... Nigel's interesting also because he recently had knee surgery and will be out until midseason uh, and will and, and play the second half of his senior year, uh, obviously, in Madison, Mississippi for Germantown High School. But it looks like, from what I was hearing, uh, you know, speaking with you and then speaking with other sources, that Alabama and Florida State are kind of still thought to be the top two schools. Uh, I know he's a, been a combine freak. Uh, this spring and summer, and he was out at the opening. Uh, I think he is a little undersized, but he's still considered a top-level prospect. Uh, Ole Miss, of course, is still going to be involved. I know the Oregon Ducks have, have received some play, but what's uh, have you heard anything new uh, now about Nigel Nod? I, I did hear again this week that I think uh, Alabama is still got him pretty high up on the board, and uh, you know I think that many think that he could end up being part of the class. Yeah, Drew, you know, he's an interesting kid, you know, a kid who certainly has seen his name in the headlines uh, probably a couple times a week now, dating back to the end of his junior season. He went viral with his backflip videos. He's gone viral with his scholarship offers. He just really exploded in the spring and carried that on into a really fabulous summer, testing off the charts, running 
Blazer 4-3 at various camps around the country and out in Oregon at the opening, which is you know really unheard of. You couple that with the raw athleticism, the backflip videos, the, the talent that he has, and it certainly has perked up a lot of ears of many coaching staff. So no surprise that he is still very much courted despite the knee injury that you detailed, Drew. Uh, I'm hearing sort of similar as you. Florida State, a school that has probably recruited him as hard or harder than any other program, even public. You know, Tim Brewster, who recruits Mississippi for Florida State, very uh, encrypted in his Twitter uh, about Nigel Knott. He probably sent out 10 to 15 tweets specifically about Nigel Knott without mentioning his name, which, of course, would have been a violation. So he played around the rules very nicely, but still sort of mentions not without saying his name in particular. So Florida State certainly very much in the mix for him and very much wanting to be in the mix for him. You have to wonder how the injury, though, Drew, affected some other people's boards. Ole Miss, Mississippi State, very good talent in that state this year. Maybe the best talent they've had in the scout.com era. Does that lessen the need for a Nigel Knott? despite his legacy status with the Ole Miss, same question for Mississippi State in terms of in-state recruiting. Could that be why it seems like he's leaning out of state? He told me almost six months ago that he was very much willing to go out of state. So could that be the biggest reason why the in-state schools aren't mentioned as much as Bama, as FSU, as Oregon? And then Oregon. He's got a visit set out to Oregon before the commitment, I believe a couple of days before the commitment. So certainly the Ducks have to like that scenario. Um, but again, as we talked about literally a second ago with Cam Akers, when it comes to kids in today's recruiting, the commitment is, is really only step one. That is the lean. So he's already gone public and said, I'm committing September 23rd, but I'm also taking all of my visits after that point. So theoretically, he commits to, let's say, Florida State on the 23rd, but he visits Alabama officially in October. He visits LSU and Oregon and the in-state schools or whatever. And it's really like he's been on the market the entire time. So it's an interesting strategy from Nigel to announce that stuff now as opposed to announcing it after he makes that commitment. I think he puts all of the recruiting staff on notice to find out. And it could be a smart thing. It could be to find out, you know, who really wants me? Who wants me now before that commitment date? And who wants me after that commitment date? It could be his ultimate strategy to find out who truly values his signature on a letter of intent. And it could be something we see more of going forward if it works out to his favor. And he does find out which schools truly want to recruit him the hardest. And I think Alabama will be among those top few schools, probably Florida State recruiting him the most, Bama right there as well as the in-state schools, especially because of his reception. And then you can never count on Oregon, really anywhere in the country. Kids love those uniforms. They love the Pac-12 speed spread system. It's what new age kids want to play in, especially skill guys. So you can never count out the Ducks. So this is going to be a fun race and a fun recruitment to track in addition to seeing how the kid recovers from a pretty serious injury. So Nigel not a name we're going to hear plenty about in, in between now and his commitment and, and certainly well after that point as well. John, I, I, I kind of touched on this when I was asking you about Jeffrey Simmons, but uh, something else that the scout.com staff uncovered was that uh, Alabama's probably more like third instead of first or second. Uh, on the pecking order right now for Marlon Davidson, who, because he stayed at Greenville and did not transfer back to Carver, that was pretty much the death knoll for Alabama and him, I think. But it appears that uh, even though most people consider him an Auburn lock, it appears that uh, Jeremy Pruitt and, and Georgia have, have gotten into the picture for Marlon Davidson. So what do you think is going to happen a week from Friday when he actually makes the announcement? And 
and how firm will that commitment be? You know, for the first time in a long time, Kerry, I, I don't know. I really don't know. A lot of times we have such a great idea going into it. We could pinpoint one school, maybe two on a rare occasion for a kid. We usually know, you know, no to people listening, we usually know. But we really don't know with Marlon Davidson, and I think that's how he's wanted it to be, and he might not even truly know at this point. Obviously, the kid's gone through it a lot. He's transferred high school twice. His mother passed. He shut visits down for a very long time. He did not camp for a very long time. So not only did he keep things from us, we weren't even able to see him for a very big chunk of the summer. So there's a lot of mystery around the kid, although we know, you know, when the lights come on on a Friday night, the kid can play as, as well as, as any player in the country. He's certainly a top 100, top 50 kid uh, in America. So every school wants him. Certainly Alabama wants him. Auburn, Georgia is the, the main three here, but LSU's in it. Um, Out-of-state schools are in it. I, it wouldn't surprise anybody if he traveled out to the West Coast to take official visits. And he's another one. Commitment on September 4th, but what happens after that? He's the opposite of Nigel Knott when it comes to uh, announcing things and letting us know ahead of time what he is, is planning to do. But it wouldn't surprise anyone if he makes the commitment to School X on the 4th and then later that month is already taking official visits to other programs. This kid is not very well-traveled, has not been out of the South, obviously, as we mentioned. He's gone through a ton in the last six months to a year, so you don't expect him to have made many uh, long trips. But Georgia was a trip that he made. At least once this summer, he's been to Alabama this summer, and of course to Auburn multiple times, where his brother Kit Carter is on Gus Malzahn's support staff. So certainly everyone thinks Auburn is the lean school, but sources in Georgia are very confident, and that confidence is growing. One source even thinks that Georgia would have been the favorite if a couple of, of these events hadn't happened, meaning maybe one of the transfers, obviously his mother's passing, which just could have changed the entire recruitment. Not that we want to you know, um, make light of, of the obvious tragedy uh, that went down with the Davidson family, but obviously that would have changed things, um, certainly in terms of the influence that Marlon has. So uh, we hear that he's been more confused without his mother there, as, as one would imagine. I mean, I'd be confused without my mom today, and you know, I'm 28 years old, so imagine, you know, 10 years ago, I really could not try to pick between these schools. So Auburn certainly feels good. It's a familiar place. It's home, but remember, it's Rocker coached Ken Carter when he was at Auburn. Rocker now at UGA. There's a lot of familiarity there. Mom loved Tracy Rocker from back in the day, from when Ken was a player. That is certainly a factor. And in one scenario with a mysterious routine like this, would it shock anybody if Marlon's sort of tip of the cap to mom was to go play for the coach that she maybe trusted more than any, which would be at UGA. So Georgia is certainly in this as much as any school in the Southeast, uh, and maybe as much as Auburn. Bama is also in this mix. Again, it would be an upset if he picked any school but Auburn just because of what we know, but that's the thing with Marlon Davidson. We don't know a whole lot. Nobody really knows a whole lot with the prospect. So I would keep an eye on all three schools. And again, once he commits, let's see what he does after that point. And I've long said, and Terry knows this, out of the top three in Alabama in 2016, meaning Ben Davis, Mac Wilson, Marlon Davidson, from day one, and this was about a year ago, I said if, if one of those guys is going to leave the state, it's going to be Marlon Davidson because we know so little about him. So it would not surprise me if he did put, put on that red and black uh, September 4th. Well, and that would be, I guess, a consolation for Bama if they can't get him. Uh, Bama fans would certainly rather he go to Athens than they would Auburn. 
That being said, I, I, I don't necessarily, and I think you'll agree with this, I don't think where he commits next Friday, a week from Friday, is 100% going to be where he signs. It, it could just go either way. Uh, you know, one of the things that we've discussed for over a year now is his friendship with Ben Davis and Mac Wilson. And, and John, I think both of us, all four of us, are 99.9% sure that Ben Davis and Mac Wilson are both going to end up in Tuscaloosa. That being said, that makes me think if Alabama maybe does still have somewhat of a chance. Yeah, no, absolutely, Terry. I mean, if, if, no matter where he commits, as you mentioned, even if Bama's third in any scenario, whether it's Auburn 1, Georgia 2, Bama 3, or Georgia 1, Auburn 2, Bama 3, Bama is, is not going to give up on the top linemen in the state of Alabama. This kid is a difference maker. He can put on weight and be an elite inside guy. Right now, he's an elite outside guy. And at Alabama, he can project anywhere from three technique to five technique all the way to jack linebacker. You don't just forget about those prospects and leave them alone. Make no mistake. Bama gave him all they could in terms of attention, uh, intimate time with coaches during that lone visit this summer. And they will continue to pursue him regardless. And as you mentioned, his buddies, Maxwell, Ben Davis, those guys, very likely to end up in Tuscaloosa. I would almost say, and this could be a story for another day, I would almost say Mac Wilson more likely to end up at Bama than Ben Davis at this point. More of a lot to me, although I do envision both in crimson and white at the next level. But that's a story for another day. And I think Ben Davis is, is the real X factor here. His timing could be very big for Alabama. He is very methodical in how he thinks. A very smart kid. A kid who wants to take all of his visits as many campuses as he can. He's planning a West Coast trip right now uh, for the middle of the fall. So if he takes this time and goes all the way through the process, I actually think that could help Alabama with getting Marlon Davidson because it could be the nail in the coffin for Bama to get Marlon if Ben makes that commitment, let's say, in January at one of these All-American games. He puts on the Crimson and White Cat. That could be one of the final straws needed to reel in Marlon Davidson is one of the biggest upsets in the state of Alabama. And actually, I will say it now, it would be the biggest upset in the state of Alabama since I covered Alabama recruiting. And yes, I am aware of what happened two years ago. That was not a huge upset to those who follow us at BamaMag.com with the Rashawn Evans scenario. So I think the more time Ben Davis takes, I think that could actually help Alabama because it could provide that final punch needed for the Crimson Tide. In terms of Marlon's perception and his friend, and, and remember, Marlon and Mac have long been friends. Marlon and Ben are sort of new friends, more recent friends because of the recruiting process. So perhaps Ben could be more influential as a newer friend as they sort of go through the process together as elite guys. I don't envision Mac taking as many trips, and Mac could even shut it down sooner. Uh, so I think Ben, uh, how he plans to take out the process and his growing relationship with Marlon could actually be the key for Alabama in terms of that final push needed. Um, because we know in terms of the Crimson Tide staff, those guys are going to give all they got to keep Marlon Davidson uh, in state and certainly in Tuscaloosa. And, and John, I wanted to touch base on um, a, a, a kind of a, a positive and, and a negative in a way. The first, to get the negative out of the way, I wanted to know, uh, I've been hearing uh, some things that, and, he had, and once he was injured after the opening and didn't visit Alabama as previously scheduled, you kind of thought it could go this way, but I'm hearing that the odds are becoming longer by the day for Alabama and Dontavious Jackson, that Texas seems to be 
the favorite at this time that Charlie Strong and his staff are doing a very good job recruiting him from Houston's Alif High School. But also, and then on the on the positive side, and I know you, you're considering going to see him Friday night, but that uh, a guy like Dexter Lawrence, who Freddie Kirby, a great friend of this show, has called maybe the next Marcel Darius is someone that uh, could be, uh, you know, his interest level in Alabama because he's he's a kid from the state of North Carolina. Much like B.J. Emmons could be growing and it could be mutual. But I guess to kind of talk about Dexter Lawrence and, of course, uh, if you have any update on Dontavious Jackson. Yeah, yeah, Drew, we'll start with Dexter, uh, North Carolina kid, as you mentioned, and kid who's so quiet. You know, you think we don't know anything about Marlon Davidson. We probably know less about Dexter Lawrence, and that's not for a lack of effort or even for a lack of, of seeing the kid. We actually saw him all summer long and still know very little about him. Extremely, you know, not so outgoing with the camera and fun. He's very different now in, in private. You know, Ben Davis, I, you know, since he's his name in here, he told us, you know, during that cookout that Alabama had where Dexter took his, his one and only visit to Tuscaloosa this past summer, he said Dexter Lawrence was one of the funniest guys there. Extremely outgoing, having just a great time, which certainly bodes well for Alabama. But when we are in front of Dexter, certainly not the same type of kid, very reserved, very calculated in what he wants to prevent within his recruitment. That said, glowing reviews about Alabama after that visit. And even this week, he spoke to Michael Clark, one of my colleagues at Scout, uh, about that Bama visit. And he's still as high on the Crimson Tide as, as maybe anybody could have expected. Wouldn't go as, uh, as far to say as Bama is the favorite, but Bama certainly more in play than anyone would have imagined uh, a couple of months ago. This is a different type of kid. He's going to take his extreme time with the process. He's been to three schools. This is a five-star Defensive tackle from North Carolina. So he's certainly in proximity to 15 D1 schools within a couple of hours. He's only been to three. Two semi-local schools, NC State and UNC and Alabama. So think about that for a second. So right now, Bama's got to feel as good as any program, despite uh, the similarity he has with semi-local schools, UNC and NC State. He wants to get down to Clemson. That could happen this week. And he wants to get to Florida and Florida State. That could happen later in the fall. However, have official visits, so it would be shocking if Dexter didn't use one of those official visits to make a return to Tuscaloosa. And if, if and when that happens, I think the, the pot will continue to stir and the buzz will continue to pick up for a kid like that. You've got to track the visits and when a kid wants to visit. And best believe Alabama wanted to plant the seed of taking an official visit to Dexter Lawrence while he was on campus for the first and only time this past summer. So Bama feeling good about Dexter and Dexter very public for, for a, a rare occasion on how high he is on the Crimson Tide. He mentioned how he loved the structure, how he got to speak to all the coaches. Bama threw everything at him. He spoke to Bo Davis. He spoke to Kirby Smart. He spoke to, of course, Nick Saban and Tosh Lupoy, who recruits the state of North Carolina, a guy whose name we're going to continue talking about as one of the top recruiters, uh, not only in the SEC, but in the country going forward and other assets for Alabama. He is all over Dexter Lawrence. Dexter got some intimate time with him and the rest of those coaches while he was at Alabama. You could even go as far as to say that the cookout was largely designed to impress Dexter Lawrence before anybody else. A lot of those other elite guys had already been to Tuscaloosa, like Ben Davis, like Mac Wilson, like Trevon Diggs, and a couple of other ones. But Dexter, it was his first time, and they wanted to present something different, and it hit a home run with Dexter. So certainly a guy Bama fans should keep a close, close eye on going forward. Um, I might just be back in the state of Alabama for a couple of games this week. I know, actually, I'll be 
in real town Thursday to see Sean Darius Jennings in his first or second game, I guess, as an Alabama commitment. He's actually playing some quarterback for the Tigers, so I want to see him on both sides of the ball, how he takes in that role, uh, because I saw C.J. Emmons sort of struggle with playing every single play uh, at Freedom High School last week. So I want to see how Sean Darius leads and how Sean Darius reacts to added pressure as a teammate. But that's the story for another day. So I won't see Dexter this week and possibly later in the season. So, but, but Bama fans, keep a close eye on this kid. He's going to wait till signing day probably to make that decision. But Bama will get an official visit. will be in the mix all the way through. So Octavius Jackson, different scenario, less buzz coming from Alabama, as you mentioned. He was supposed to – he visited right before the opening. Loved it. He visited just as a prospect. He did not camp, although it was during the June 13th O-line, D-line camp, and 7-on-7 camp, which is the day Miller Forrestal committed. Uh, there was a lot of positive buzz. Raekwon Davis and Kendall Jones worked out together, dominated together. It was a lot of positivity coming out of Tuscaloosa that day, and one part of that was Octavius Jackson getting a, a red carpet tour, a red carpet treatment in town for a visit. But he hadn't been back to campus since, and he hasn't camped for Alabama. He wanted to come back and work out and bring some teammates to Tuscaloosa for a closer look. I do imagine that he will get back on campus at some point, but as you mentioned, Drew, Texas, the in-state school, he's long been a fan of Charlie Strong, and, and some say long been a lean to Texas since Charlie Strong took a stranglehold of that position. I think Texas getting Malik Jefferson in the 2015 cycle and him probably starting as a true freshman is such a big swing recruit in the state of Texas at linebacker, five-star type of guy. That stuff trickles down to the following classes, and I think Dontavious Jackson could be one of the direct results of that. He's a smart kid just like Malik, obviously, and then a kid just like Malik, and a kid is very familiar with DT. So Charlie Strong has prioritized him in a very similar way, uh, and it seems like it's working pretty well. Of course, with Texas, they got to win. they got to win this year. So I think that's going to be a big key. And a smart kid like Octavius, in my opinion, will wait and see how it plays out before making a decision. doesn't mean he'll commit on signing day, but possibly mid to the end of fall, which is, I think, good news for Alabama. gives them more time to make up some of that ground. But as we've mentioned, Ben Davis, Matt Wilson, you already have Riley Cole and Jaquan Lee committed at the linebacker position right now. It is a position of luxury for Alabama. Uh, it's not one where there's going to be a scramble to find a guy or two, much like, like maybe running back could be in this class to pair with B.J. Emmons if he squares his stuff up academically. So linebacker is going to be a position where the, the names might change, but the number and the stars next to those guys is going to be a pretty one for Alabama fans to sit back and enjoy come February. So whether Dontavious Jackson is in that or not may not matter in the end, but he's certainly a guy Alabama would like to stay relevant with for a long time, and I think they will depending on how Texas season goes. John, it's not a segment on Bama's radio with you and me talking where I can not ask you this next question. Uh, <laughs> favorite two-part question. Consistent two-part question. Well, he's part of it, but Overall, assess where Alabama stands right now going forward uh, with left tackle and tight end, in-line tight end, I might add, blocking tight end. Yeah, I think blocking tight end is the caveat here. I think that's where it gets really interesting. I'll hit on that one first really quick because there's so many names uh, to get to. We hit on Nick Eubanks, who's more uh, of an outside tight end, a guy who could even be considered a receiver on certain recruiting boards. He's out of South Florida, Plantation High School or excuse me, American Heritage High School in Plantation, Florida, I should say, actually had an interception to end the game against a well-noted IMG Academy 
Uh, and Shea Patterson, another one quarterback in America on Friday night. So he's coming off of a big game, named the top five. Bama ahead of everyone else in that top five, despite his older brother Kobe not getting into the university as a basketball signee. So I thought that was interesting that he named Alabama his leader after all that went down. So certainly Alabama in good shape. They need to get him back on campus. He's only visited one time. But again, he's more of an outside guy. What about inside guys? Jacob Mastic out of Florida. Bad Moss, son of Randy Moss out of Florida. Those guys, bigger bodies, still probably a little more outside than inside, but bigger bodies than you think so they can have the potential to play inside more. And then the ultimate tight end in this class, speaking of IMG, is one to keep an eye on. Isaac Nauta. I know a lot of people have ruled Alabama out, but he sort of slipped at the opening. He said he would take an official visit to Alabama. Then after that point, he decommitted from Florida State, named four official visit destinations, and Alabama was not one of them. So uh, either he's just you know playing himself up or he is – truly on the market to find that fifth official visit. So perhaps it was a clip of the tongue where he mentioned Alabama, but we know the Georgia native is very familiar with Tuscaloosa. He's been recruited very heavily and highly favored by Alabama. So I would imagine they continue to use resources towards Isaac Nata, the number one tight end in the country. Uh, so I would not be surprised if Bama ends up getting that fifth official visit as he uh, looks to find a new home after he's committing from Florida State. Georgia certainly is a favorite or not uh, uh, at this time, again, Houston, Georgia is where not uh, um, called home. So he's another tight end to keep an eye on. So there's a lot of guys on this list, and you have to remember, Bama has two committed in Brendan Scales and Miller Forrestal, so two very different types of versatile tight end prospects. Forrestal, former quarterback, and Scales, a guy who plays wildcat quarterback, running back, receiver, tight end, defensive end, a little bit of everything uh, out in the Midwest. So that true inline tight end might not be clear as day, for Alabama right now, but certainly there's a lot of names to keep an eye on as it starts to try to figure out that tight end position. And could tight end be one of these swing positions and casualties like we like Drew talked about with Josh Perry at State? Could that be a position where they find a guy who can play tight end, but also defensive end, you know, in some other positions? Could it be uh, a guy that we're going to hear a lot more about in State, Kelvin Lucky, a big-time Nigerian who's following the footsteps of Prince Pedro Lomoto Jr. from last year? This kid's 6'6", 228, runs 4'6", has played one game of football in his life. He's going to take some time to get up to, you know, Kega's status, but his coach thinks he's actually ahead of Kega's pace at this time. So perhaps he is a kid to keep a closer eye on. Uh, but tight end is going to be a developing story uh, for later in the recruiting cycle. At offensive tackle, Kerry, the names are largely the same. Tremonde Moore still the new surprise guy on the list, and his stock has only increased. Since Alabama off, I believe in the last week he's out of Florida State, Miami, and I can't remember the third big time school, maybe Michigan State, uh, it was a big 10 or top 12 school. But he, he is still picking up a lot of steam after his first game went down in the books on Friday. He is high on Alabama's board. Remember, he's going to take his time almost all the way through the process. So Bama will know where it stands with one Greg Little before Moore is ready to make his decision. So Little still thinking about that November 4th commitment date, his 18th birthday. Not many have talked to him. Not many have talked about it, but that is still the plan as far as we know. Bama in very good position. And, again, the favorite to me to land Greg Little. But the less he talks, I think the better for Alabama. That's, uh, you know, that's the 
few buzz that a Texas will have, a Texas A&M, and in terms of the region, and an Ole Miss, LSU, Auburn, the other schools in the mix. The less you hear about Greg Little, the better for Alabama because the perception is that Alabama is the favorite. And that is how I felt coming off the opening when he was still actually committed to Texas A&M. So that is still plan A for Alabama at tackle. You've got Tremonte Moore waiting in the wings. Um, Willie Allen out of the state of Louisiana, still on the board somewhere for Alabama. He's been very, very quiet of late. His stock has probably dropped since the summer, hasn't camped as much. We haven't seen him in action as much. So his senior year could be very critical for his own recruitment as to where he ends up on some of these schools recruiting boards. Some people had him as a five-star coming off of his junior case. We did not, but we were very high on him, top 100, top 40 type of guy. He has flipped a little bit since then, and with pretty much everybody, perception has changed just a little bit with him, but certainly still an SEC guy. will be interesting to see if LSU makes a push to keep him in state or what happens with Ole Miss, Alabama, some other schools very high on his list. I would imagine he since this time. He hasn't been on visits, to my knowledge, in a very long time as well. So the last tackle board, it's a lot of familiarity, a lot of uh, the same names. But again, Alabama still in the driver's seat for Greg Little, which I think is, is still as big of a news item as there possibly could be in this class of 2016. Remember the Cam Robinson coverage. You know, it, he committed to Bama, and that was kind of it. You didn't hear a lot about it after that point because he was so solid to Bama. But what we know now is that that was as big of a get as Bama has maybe ever had under Nick Saban. I think that's how Bama fans need to look at Greg Little if and when that does happen. So Greg Little is still very much plan A for Alabama. There are certainly contingency plans after that point. Uh, and a couple of guys we've mentioned are, are, are in those thoughts. Uh, but as of right now, if Greg Little did not end up crimson, it would be certainly a surprise to me. And John, finally from me, to switch sides of the ball, uh, he's someone that you, we briefly mentioned tonight, but he's a jack linebacker slash defensive end, and he did decommit from Ohio State, but talk about Alabama and Terrell Hall. It looks like Alabama could be the favorite there. And along and, and now with the decommitment also of Keith Gavin, uh, we, I know another young man that's been very closely linked to him from the same area is Janarius Robinson. And uh, do you think Alabama could take both of those guys or would they just take one? I'm thinking one right now, Drew, but that's only because the numbers are so tight. So I'm not even taking my own advice and telling Bama fans to, to not realize that this board is very far from being settled. Robinson's a guy we haven't heard a lot about of late. Very similar to Hall in terms of their size, skill set. Uh, I know Hall is very high on Alabama's list. He had a very big summer, and I know he is a Jack candidate for Alabama. But again, Max Wilson could end up being a Jack candidate. For Alabama, Khalid Kareem, currently committed from the state of Michigan, is at this point a Jack candidate for Alabama. So the Jack position looks to be in fairly good shape, especially considering Rashawn Evans, very young, Christian Miller, very young, Keith Holcomb, all these other guys, extremely young. So Bama's in good shape there, but certainly always looking uh, to add to that position. So I think Terrell Hall is certainly higher on the board today than Janarius Robinson. I know he's a guy who actually has some tight end experience. So, Terry, he could be the answer to your question earlier uh, in, in a crazy world for Alabama. But uh, I do know Terrell Hall is, is going to take his time. Bama feels like they're in very good shape. He has publicly said Alabama is the leader. And he's another. He, he didn't say Ohio State was out of the mix. He says he's going to continue to consider Ohio State. But remember, Ohio State runs a traditional scheme. So in that scheme, 
he is a defensive end prospect. And think of the defensive end Ohio State has commitment, committed, Jonathan Cooper uh, and Joey Bosa's little brother, Nick. So certainly they feel good about the guys they have on board. Some people took those guys' commitments as they're riding on the wall for Terrell Hall to back off of his play. So interesting scenario developing there. And remember, the Jeff Simmons scenario affects Terrell Hall. At one point, they were both Jack linebacker prospects, but because of the weight Simmons has put on, Simmons now moves into the sort of Quentin Williams defensive end, Marlon Davidson category, and Hall stands alone with the college Kareem category and Jack linebacker prospects. It's, it's sort of tough to characterize all of these guys, but that's important when looking at Alabama's 2016 board because there's always a formula and a cap to a certain position. So if Bama could somehow land Marlon Davidson, what does that affect with Jeff Simmons? What does that affect? with Terrell Hall, uh, can maybe just then get pushed back to that Jack linebacker spot where he was just you know a month and a half ago on Alabama for. Those are all very interesting dominoes to keep an eye on. But again, all of those guys are going to probably wait to make that final decision. Yes, Davidson will commit on September 4th, but we all know that battle's not going to be over with until you know, closer to February and National Signing Day. John, you had a chance last week to see running back commitment B.J. Emmons uh, in person. What were your uh, personal impressions since you got to, he got to pass your in-person eye test? I was floored by him, Terry. I mean, he has to do a lot for his team. He's literally almost the entire team. He kicks off, he punts, he returns kicks. Uh, he's a running back, he plays safety, linebacker, corner. He does literally everything for uh, the Freedom Patriots. But with, with his size and skill set, I, I was I was very skeptical as, as to some things I heard about him. I heard he was a freak. I heard he was a kid that hadn't come around North Carolina before. And remember, North Carolina's produced some very good backs. And recently, some guy named Todd Gurley came out of North Carolina as well. I heard so many good things about him that I just I almost had to not believe one. Just as a reporter, my intuition said, "No, this is, this can't all be true." But lo and behold, Terry, it all was true, and it was actually better. Than advertised. I can't detail his numbers for you. That won't tell you anything. He rushed for two touchdowns, 90 yards on Friday night, but he faced 10 in the box playing against a two time defending state championship team with multiple Division one players on the defense, including two at linebacker, and he still managed those yards. But it wasn't even that, that that impressed me. It was two plays mainly where I saw the, the sort of full package of B.J. Emmons. There was a kick return, but he hurled the guy. And again, you can see this video. We posted it on Bama Man on Monday. He hurls his own player just to get out of the way and continue running. And upon landing from the hurdle, again, it's from kickoff, so he's running full speed in the open field. He absorbs two pieces of contact. The kicker and some other guy hits him. They bounce off without him even seeing those guys. So he exhibits extremely good balance, core stability, and obvious raw strength. He breaks outside, stiff arms another guy, so obviously situational awareness, and seemingly outruns everybody else before he gets out of bounds. So I saw the full package in one 25-yard spurt on one play, but the, the biggest question mark I had after that was the pure speed. Did the guy open it up to 4-4 like his coach said he had been clocked twice? Remember, he's 5'11", 225. If he could run 4-4-225, this is just something very, very special. Sure enough, he intercepts a pass in his own end zone, and multiple skill position guys have the angle for Shelby High School, including multiple Division One guys who have scholarship offers. Not only does he outrun them, Terry, he gaps them in running with the football 
on the edge with blockers in front of him. So not only he's not running in, in an exact straight line, and he's still able to get the guys who had angles on him on the play. So that was really the play that I, I, I my jaw was on the floor. I had it on tape. I actually got hit by a bunch of his teammates that was a little shaky on Taylor Mag because they, you know, he had a 105-yard pick six. But that was the play where he really did look like he was running 4-4 with pads on, with guys coming at him, with guys who should have been just as fast coming at him. And he gapped those guys uh, to, to the real roar and excitement of the, the home crowd there. That was the play where I said, this kid, from what I've seen, and I've seen Kareem Walker in person and on tape, and I've seen some other guys, Devin Keister, in person and on tape, you can be hard-pressed on the field with the football in his hands against the same defense and the same kind of offense. You put all those guys in the same kind of scenario like that, you'd be hard-pressed to get me to pick another guy to give that ball to than B.J. Emmons as of right now. I think he is the best back in Florida. Final question, John. Uh, the uh, well-traveled, venerated, sometimes read Friday Night Lights column is making its first-ever trip to Phoenix City, Alabama this Friday night, not to watch Florida State tight end commitment Jamal Couch, who I really hope Love Alabama had pushed for. Not to watch Auburn cornerback com- commitment John Broussard, a, a regular on the Talking Ball show in Huntsville, but to watch a junior linebacker who Alabama seems to be high on. What can I, who have never seen him e- even on tape, what can I expect to see from Markel Benton this Friday? Love him, Terry. This kid. If it wasn't for Austin Troxel's ridiculous frame and strength up at Madison Academy, we'd be talking about a runaway number one prospect in the state of Alabama in the class of 2017. Marshall Benton is a phenomenal football player. I remember his coach first talking about him when he was in eighth grade. We were talking about some other prospects. I think it was Christian Campbell, a defensive back, who ended up with Penn State soon after James Franklin took over, I guess, two years ago. We are talking about him, and he said, hey, you know, I got some young guys to keep a close eye on. He mentioned Broussard, he mentioned Couch, but he said the one he was most excited about was Markel Benton. He said this kid came up in eighth grade, you know, for varsity uh, in, in the spring there, and they played Hoover, which I don't have to say anything else about Hoover. That's when they had Bradershaw and all these guys. And he said the guy had like 15 tackles in the spring game against Hoover. And I said, an eighth grader? And he said, yeah, and the kid's already big. So we saw Markel Benson soon after that. We loved his raw potential. But in these last couple of years, Terry, he's really hit the next level. At that point, he was seemingly just a nose-to-the-football, tackle-to-tackle, old-school linebacker. Well, he's grown in size and strength, but he's also grown cerebral-wise. And now he's a very good leader of a defense, a guy who flashed more than Mac Wilson when Carver played Central Phoenix City in the spring. And he flashed more than Mac Wilson in Mac Wilson type of role, blitzing off the edge, playing in coverage, running with a tight end. It was Markel Benson who did it better than Mac Wilson on the same field on the same day. So that was really when my perception changed with Markel Benson from he's really good to he's maybe a top 20 or 30 kid in the entire country in this class of 2017. Scary to think that he has this year and next year in high school. I think he is a banner recruit for any program. I could not be more impressed with the kid at this time. He went out to the opening. He was covering Isaac Nata one-on-one and not getting, you know, <laughs> completely shook. So Isaac Nata, for, for those who don't know, was making five-star and four-star defensive backs fall on their face covering him because his routes are so precise. Markel Benton played against him for a whole game and held his own. Uh, 
something that Ben Davis couldn't do, something that Matt Wilson couldn't do, Benton was able to do. He still you know, gave up some catches, but it wasn't as bad as, as some defensive backs at that event. And again, he was the youngest, one of the youngest kids there. So Benton has the size, speed, 6'3", 230 or so, uh, physicality, nose for the football. He's got every single component that you could ideally want in a linebacker. So I think you're going to be thoroughly impressed with him. He's going to be the top prospect at that game, no matter how good any of those other guys play. And if he is not, you let me know, and I'll pick my job uh, off the ground. Well, he's I'm planning on making him the top prospect because uh, the other guys are committed to other schools, and they don't, they don't, that's not how Friday Night Lights works. Uh, but, yeah, but, but I'm glad that it's legitimate. I don't, this is just not my opinion preconceived. So you've, you've kind of made me feel better about that. And, uh, John, we want to thank you for joining us tonight here on Bama's Radio, and we'll continue to call you every three or four weeks because you bring great insight and you brought great insight again tonight. And uh, guys and gals who are listening to this podcast, you can read John Garcia's stuff at www.scout.com and www.bamamag.com. Thanks again, John. Good talking to you. Thank you, John. Anytime, guys. Always appreciate it. I'll see you around some more. Okay. Absolutely. Well, and uh, I wanted to also say about Friday Night Lights, my column on BamaMag.com. This past week, I got to see the opening of the Mark Freeman era at Thompson High in Alabaster. Bear in mind, Thompson went 0-10 last year, and uh, they needed a win in the worst way, and they got it in, in what I consider an upset over Wetumpka, 37-13. They completely outplayed them and Thomas Rayum is an assistant coach on that staff. Bamba fans remember him for blocking the field goal in Nittany Valley in 1989. Tim Castile is the running back coach and the strength and conditioning coordinator at Thompson now. It was good to see him and visit with him briefly. And uh, T.J. Rayum, Thomas's son, played a very good game at nose guard. Uh, Tumka had an extremely athletic quarterback, and T.J. still sacked him twice. But at 5'11 and a half, 300, he's not getting recruited very heavily in the SEC, but he's still a very good nose guard. So that was last week's Friday Night Lights. This week, we'll see Jamal Couch, John Broussard, Markel Benton, and whoever prospects Harris County, Georgia has as their visit in Phoenix City. But as we close out the show, uh, I want to ask Drew a basketball question. Uh, today, a familiar face to longtime Bama basketball fans rejoined the staff as Avery Johnson hired Kobe Baker. Uh, to come in and be the special assistant to the uh, head coach and uh, kind of a chief operations guy, I guess he'll be slightly uh, above Colton Houston. Uh, he was on Mark Godfrey's staff, and then he went to Troy, and then he went to work for the NCAA in compliance, and now Kobe Baker is back in Tuscaloosa. Uh, your impressions, Drew? Well, I think it's a solid hire. Obviously, he's a Central Tuscaloosa graduate, uh, went to Talladega College, is well-known throughout the state, coached at Troy, uh, southeastern Louisiana, uh, North Texas. He's been around as a coach, an on-the-floor coach. He's recruited. He's also been around the Alabama program. He understands the state of Alabama. And I think uh, he's well-known and uh, well-respected. And now the, with the angle of working for the NCAA, he's going to help the Alabama program uh, with the with to, to stay compliant within the NCAA rules, and to also kind of give them an edge, I think, as far as uh, with someone that can take care of the day-to-day -day operations of the basketball program and have contacts throughout the state of Alabama, and I think that's going to be huge, especially with this 2017 recruiting class, uh, which is 
just setting up to be a historically significant class and with Alabama having, in my opinion, a very good chance to sign at least three very, very good players in in the John Petties of the world, the Alex Reese's, uh, obviously uh, Jamal Johnson. Uh, so I do think and uh, they're going to continue to recruit Aubrey Wiley. But I just think right now they're setting themselves up really well. And who knows how, you know, the 2016 class is going to uh, end because they hi- they offered the best player in the state of Minnesota this week, a, t- a uh, wing guard that's 6'7", 180, much like uh, Terrence Ferguson, who, of course, uh, won the three-point shooting contest at the Under Armour Showcase. So uh, just a very, very, very nice beginning, and I really like uh, what uh, Avery Johnson has been able to accomplish. And, and we haven't really mentioned it, but we heard from Avery Johnson after uh, the uh, scrimmage on Saturday and got to meet Scott Pospickle. And uh, needless to say, according to Avery, in a joking manner somewhat, that uh, Scott is uh, on the clock and needs to bring in a quality big. Yeah, and I think they've got a really good shot at Tony Bradley. Yeah, I think so. Uh, because North Carolina's in some trouble, Kerry. You, you know, you, you, speaking of compliance and academics and things of that nature, they are definitely in the hot water with the NCAA. And even with a, a storied program like Carolina, Roy is going to have some problems. And I wanted to ask you, Drew, and, and, and I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I'm just curious to know if you heard anything at all regarding Avery's talk at the Huntsville Rotary Club yesterday. I have not heard any buzz no from problem. the Rotary Club talk. I know he was in town speaking and it was a huge crowd uh electric and uh, they were very excited about him but uh i have not heard and i know a buddy of mine matthew schmitz uh who my next door neighbor took a photo with him and uh obviously nick saban but uh and of course i think they were at the ledges maybe um playing some golf uh but, but again i have not heard uh anything about what happened uh, at the rotary club no buzz but still uh, very excited uh, and I will probably speak to Matt but very soon and, and kind of get his take if he uh, learned anything, did not receive any info from him. But, again, just very excited overall, though, for basketball. Oh, yeah, and last Wednesday, uh, last week, I guess it was on a Thursday, uh, I got a chance to hear Colton Houston speak, who is director of ops that was retained from the previous staff, retained by Avery. And, uh, of course, he's not going to stand up at the microphone and, and down, down Anthony Grant, but he did say, that one of the most amazing differences was that almost every day coach Avery comes to Colton uh, with ideas about different promotions to get people to the games. And I'm thinking, really? I mean, is this even legal? But yeah, he, uh, it's, uh, it is not only, it's, 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 it's not only allowed, it's encouraged. So Avery Johnson, and, and the reason I brought up him speaking to the Huntsville Rotary Club, he's just going all around the state and promoting this program. And and, yes. and I know I know Austin Wiley's going to be a tough pull. I I had to unfollow his mom Vicky uh, because she posted a picture of herself and Pat Dye, and I just knew it was over when I saw that. But uh, there are there's other great talent in the state. You mentioned a bunch of them, and there's also a six nine young man at Auburn High in that same Harrison class. Brooks. Brooks, that's correct. So I think Alabama's going to get probably almost exclusively an in-state haul for the seventeen group. But the 16 group is, is first, and Tony Bradley, 6'9 and a half, 6'10, kid out of Florida. That's one of those that uh, Coach Pospicle's on the clock. We don't want Coach Pospicle to get that, that pink slip in the mail, Drew. <laughs> so, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> as was jokingly threatened by his boss, <laughs> jokingly. But uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe that was a hint, though, because everybody's been asking me who's going to coach the big men 
And uh, I'm wondering if that might end up being Scott Possible, too. But anyway, yes. uh, we've had an interesting show. Uh, we got to give our takes on the scrimmage. Uh, we apologize that we couldn't take live calls this week. We hope to have that situation rectified by next week. But uh, I want to thank Thomas Watts, who had to work his tail off just to even allow us to have a podcast tonight. Much the less wizard. a show. Yeah, he is the wizard. I won't call another man rock like Bird used to call him, but I'll call him the wizard. Uh, he I've is been the playing the MacGyver theme for the past two hours. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. But anyway, uh, great. <laughs> Are you that bored with us, Thomas? Is that what you say? Uh, no, no, no. I, no. He, he means MacGyver was a true wizard. So, yes, oh. a jack of all trades. Okay. So, yeah. uh, you the know. Man behind he, the curtain. Absolutely. He could uh, give him a little chicken wire and some bubble gum, and he could do some amazing things. Well, he got the podcast on, which we didn't even think we were going to be able to do that at about 5 to 8. So uh, we're, we're sorry we couldn't go live this week. We'll get that rectified hopefully next week. I'm sure that some people at Blog Talk Radio Tech Support will be getting some royal uh, butt chewings from Mr. Watts. But anyway, uh, we'll go ahead and sign it off now. We've had a great show. I want to thank Big C McGuire. Uh, A.P. Stedham and John Garcia all for being our guests. And we want to thank all of you that are listening via podcast. We appreciate you, and we hope to be with you live next week. But for now, uh, for Thomas Watts of Touchdown Alabama Magazine, the Wizard of Production, for Drew DeArmond of ESPN 97.7 The Zone in Huntsville, I am Kerry Clark, your co-host from BamaMag.com, wishing you a good night, roll tide, and you've been listening to BAMS Radio, a member of the Bama Sports Radio family. Roll tide, everyone. <laughs>